Okay, hello, this is Salem, and I got a guest with me today. He's a very old friend. My, our, par our parents were friends. We uh, were both Libyan Im immigrants here in DC area. So uh, let's jump into it, man. How are you doing today? I'm pretty good, man. Just, just you know, taking time, relaxing, and trying to enjoy nature and, and doing good, man. I know, West Virginia. Yeah, by the way, we're in West Virginia right now. Very good nature. It's fall, so all the trees are colorful, and it's next to a lake. Uh, so yeah, man, uh, you know, as this podcast goes, we're trying to jump into uh, awakening stories, wh what you went through, all that stuff. You know, we're trying to help people out. This is going to be the first few episodes introducing a few stories before we dive into uh, really deep subjects, you know, and take them uh, like take them apart one by one. Right. So uh, tell me more about yourself, man. Where, where were you born? Where did you grow up? Your family, your siblings, your background, your religion, you know, just let people yeah, know yeah. who you are. It's cool, man. So my name is Hamza. Um, I'm a Libyan uh, national, but Libyan-American, you could say. Uh, I was born in Libya, raised there for a couple of years of my life, and then I was raised in a, a few different other countries, um, because my father was a political activist, uh, so um, and a human rights activist as well, so he was, he would always be traveling around and stuff. So we were raised for a few years in in different countries in Europe and North Africa and stuff. Um, <laughs> so in nineteen nineteen ninety seven, uh, we left uh, Libya um, because of my father's political activities, opposition against uh, Libyan dictator Muammar Gaddafi. And uh, we, we, I mean, he had to leave the country. So first, um, we left to, I remember, to Malta. Um, it's funny because we were actually getting, um, doing a surgery for my arm that was broken in Libya. Mm -hmm. And it was broken twice in a row. And it needed surgery, so it needed steel plates. And we went, we went to do the surgery in Malta at a UK hospital there. So, um, so, we, so while we were there, my uncle... Uh, called my father and he was like, you know, he's like, listen, um, uh, you know, your your grandma's sick. He was, you know, he's basically giving him like codes. You know, he's like, your grand, your your mom is sick and don't even think about coming back here. It's just better not for you to come back. So <laughs> this is right after my surgery. So it was like it's kind of weird. And then after that, um, we you're, stayed him. Yeah, yeah, you were quite the active kid, huh? Broken your arms. Oh, like... bro, yeah. I mean, it's funny that actually that story. I I jumped from a closet that was like maybe 15 feet high. I mean, about 10 feet high, I'm about 10 feet high, you know, <laughs> you know how we have marble floors in our houses there. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> so, so basically I was jumping and then there was like, a, there was like marble ground and then there was a sofa. So my brother and I were jumping on the sofa. We're like, we're actually jumping in a diagonal um, way, you know, um, manner. And then my brother was like, my dad is here. My dad is here. You know how we yeah, all fear yeah. our fathers, right? How yeah, Arab kids yeah, are. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I jumped like without even thinking, bro. So when yeah. I fell, I fell directly on my uh, on my arm. And yeah. both, both four, all four bones just popped out of my arm, literally. Damn, how was that experience, bro? It, bro, it was damn pretty traumatizing. I, I, like I was six years old or five. And I thought that I was going to die. Like I thought I'll wow. never use my arm again. My mom, my mom made it worse. She came to me. She was like, <laughs> she was like, she's like, your arm, your arm is broken. She's like, uh, uh, broken. And I was like, I was thinking like, oh damn, it's broken. So that means I'm never going to use it again. So I started crying. I started crying after she said that, wow. you know, at yeah. first, like I was like, all right, my arm, something's wrong with it. But then I was like, damn, okay, I'm disabled. It's broken. You, th you <laughs> yeah. thought I was like a machine that's broken for good, huh? Exactly, bro. Yeah. So I, I was like, you know, you know, and then uh, after that, my aunt came and everyone came and then like, they were making like so much drama around it. I know. Um, my mom started crying you're not supposed to cry in front of a child you know i know and then, and it's they, like yeah. ladies man they make if it's something just so minor they just 
they they revel in those emotions they make a drug like they live in those emotions they dramatize it and make like yeah i know exactly it, what you're exactly, talking about bro, bro. exactly and, and the thing is that has to actually we have to pay attention to those people when we raise our kids our generation you know exactly. we have to make sure that we don't um dramatize and 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 expose our kids to to high emotions of negativity because that affects a child's uh, nurture when they're growing up and their psychology you know exactly. so that's uh, all that's all the subconscious like the subconscious yeah. is basically the software that runs your whole life and you're not aware of it and it really uh, it really takes formation on uh, you know the first seven years of your life you learn all your emotional responses and they become automatic so uh, yeah. yeah let's go back okay, okay so your father was kind of exiled yeah and he couldn't come back and you were seven years old yeah and then yeah go yeah on. so he was exiled um, so we stayed in Malta for uh, for about I, th- I remember a year or something and then we went to uh, Morocco for uh, like six months uh, we were gonna settle down there and then Morocco turned out to be not the right place for us and we went to Dubai we stayed in Dubai my father's dental tech so he tried to get uh, a license uh, mm-hmm. work permit in Dubai and then the Emiratis took a while to give it to him so so we left Emirat and back to Malta and when we left back to Malta uh, the the Emiratis uh, called my dad and they were like your work permit is here if you want to come back and, and you know start working in Emirat you can come back my dad was like no we don't want to come back there anymore uh, we applied for a political asylum Asylum protection <laughs> in um, in Canada. Okay. And then the Canadians uh, accepted it, and then we were on our t- on our way to actually the airport, and the taxi driver was driving slow as hell, and there was traffic. I mean, so we missed our flight, came back to the to our apartment, mm-hmm. um, and then after we came back to our apartment, my mom was like, you know, why don't we just apply for a political uh, asylum in in the U.S. because my sister's there. Okay. So my, my aunt was like, you know, I'll do your papers for you, I'll do an invitation, blah blah. blah. She did it. And then they accepted it. We, we went to the we came to the U.S. in 1998 or 1999. Sorry, mm-hmm. uh, we came 1998. Sorry, 1998. And then we stayed in New Jersey for about six months with my aunt okay. um, until my father, you know, was able to stand on his own feet. And then we moved to Northern Virginia, where we are now. Okay. So yeah. So you said your father had a dental uh, degree, like? Yeah. So it's a dental tech degree. He, he studied seven years in Perugia, in Italy. For, for okay. that, um, and then he he had his own practice in um, dental practice in uh, in in Tripoli, okay. and he he was making very decent money. Uh, yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, he's a partner with someone, and and then you know when he was wanted, he left everything behind, and and you know yeah, everything that. changed. I know, yeah, it, it seemed like a very abrupt, you know, it's a series of events that took through when your future was uh, unclear. Uh, the reason I asked mm-hmm. that question is because your father is doing a very different line of work, and mm-hmm. that was just thinking why Mm -hmm. why wouldn't he do something that's so profitable but we'll get to that you know later right just finish with the story right now right so as a as a young child what was your emotional response to all these uh abrupt changes in the way you're living you know oh man well first of all i mean watching my father Mm -hmm. go through that i mean it was obvious that you know my father was in trouble right because uh, you can tell by the way, you know, body language and, and the way he talked to my mother and stuff. And we knew what's going on. We knew we always knew my father was involved in this kind of stuff. I used to watch his friends meet and talk about, you know, human rights and, and freedom of speech and, and, and equality and all these things in, in our house, um, Tripoli. And, and I knew my father was involved in something. So when we left abruptly, uh, I, I knew that there was something wrong. And, and it was pretty, it was, it was emotionally distressing, actually. Mm. Uh, that's the reason is because... Your father is your protector, and, and, and you know, being wanted by a tyrant and a mad dog, uh, a person who has no empathy whatsoever to any, any other person himself, 
uh, is pretty scary. You know, you feel like you can lose your father any second. And at that time, you're a child. You don't know if, if, if the Libyan government will even uh, file a, a request from another government to send him back. You know, so you're always under that kind of paranoia that your father might might get kidnapped, killed, uh, you know, because Gaddafi assassinated a lot of people too. Oh, yeah, overseas, politically, right? yeah, politically. assassinations, yeah. yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> so, that, yeah, from that side, it, it was kind of scary. I mean, I can relate a little bit to the same experience because uh, 2003, my father had, we, had oh, we all had to leave the U.S. under the same... It was not like uh, by a mad dog or a tyrant, but at the time it was 9/11 was still recent, and my dad was involved in a lot of uh, Islamic foundations and charities, and he was donating money to uh, Palestinian uh, organizations back in the 90s before before they were uh, considered any terrorist uh, denomination. Mm -hmm. So after the 9/11, the laws changed and they became terrorist denomination. Uh, like organizations and then that opened the door for more prosecution so i uh, mm. i felt almost the same way and i remember when it was like from 10 years old all the way towards 15 my dad was always uh, uh invited to the fbi headquarters in jordan because jordan's just a puppet country to the west so mm. i guess i feel i mean i'm sure that they uh, the cia talk to the Jordanian government and ask them to interrogate my dad and he would go back and forth back and forth mm. so you know our fathers shares like s some similar background in uh, yeah. in that sense yeah. so uh, so how how was your like how did you adjust to living into America like you oh man so bro it, it was actually pretty pretty uh, shocking we had a, a very strong cultural shock in the, in the beginning at least uh, my my brothers and I, I mean, especially my older brother and I, because we were we were the oldest ones in the family. I mean, we were we were four boys at that time. Um, so he was he's uh he's three he's two years older than me. Um, he was born in 1987. I was born in 1989, and I have a younger one born in 1996. And then the younger than him is 90. Uh, sorry, the younger one is 93, and then the younger than him is 96. So there's four of us. Um, so the, the the two youngest ones were were very young. You know, they didn't, they didn't know anything. So they adjusted quickly. They adapted. But my brother and I. Um, my older brother and I took us a while to actually adapt, and we were shocked at, at the way the system was. Because as you can see, America, you know, has its own identity, and it's its, it's own lifestyle. It's very different from the rest of the world. People are different. Lifestyle, the, the system is different. The way things run, you know, is different. So it took us a while to adjust, and it was a very, very powerful cultural shock, especially coming from the Middle East, you know, um, being raised in that kind of culture. Um, and, you know, so when, when we first arrived... Um, I remember coming in and looking outside and seeing that there was no one, no one outside, like nobody walking outside. You know, mm. that was the first thing I noticed, like complete uh, emptiness uh, in the streets. You know, I'm not saying yeah. it's something bad, but you know, it's just different. You know, yeah, and yeah. then yeah, and then I, like as days passed by, we're 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 at our aunt's house. Mm -hmm. As days passed by, I would notice like there's very limited social uh, um, connect uh, connections and and uh, what's it called um, social interaction. Yeah. So so I was like you know what is this is it, why is it like this you know why is it so different people don't see each other people don't talk to each other um you know and that was i think the hardest part to adjust to other than the the practices and and you know um lifestyle and and the culture and, and things that people did on, on a normal everyday basis you know yeah, yeah. Um, especially when we went to school that, that was that was very uh different uh, you know kids acted differently the kids looked at you differently friendship the kid the way the children viewed friendship was differently than us there uh, so so that that was I think the main thing that you know yeah I, yeah I know like I uh, I guess the so social adjustment especially to social norms of any other country is the most hard part to uh, 
to adjust to. And I had I I have friends who who traveled like to study abroad, and that's the that's their main complaint is like people are not the same, and it's not we're not trying to judge which is better, which is right. worse. It's right. just a different atmosphere that causes you know a person to adjust. You mm-hmm. know, at a, and at a young age, the impressions you know the memories sometimes when you when you talk about them when you're an adult. They seem very benign and not so real, but when you were a child, that was that was something major. The same way you described uh, pe- people not walking in the streets or not people walking around to a normal person, and even to yourself now, they'll be like, "Oh, so what? That's just something normal." But mm-hmm. back then, that's something that really stuck in your mind and left like an, uh, a very strong impression. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, you moved here, New Jersey, six months. Then you moved to Northern Virginia, right. and the social culture. Social culture. I I noticed that too when I moved back here to uh, Virginia. Right. Uh, Middle East. As I said, we're not trying to say who's better and who's not, but we are very socially connected. And you can uh, the the closest example here in America is Latinos and the Mexicans. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a strong. I feel. Uh, cultural community they always i see them hanging out they always ask they always take care of each other they got each other's back they they hang out and you know they uh they have a strong family tie like you'll know you'll see a mexican guy he knows his cousins from his mom's side from his dad's side mm-hmm. he's usually on constant contact with them and that type of thing and uh i remember reading about this there's two types of cultures when it comes to classification there's the individualistic cultures and uh I forgot what was the other one, but it's more right. like socially integrated, like a, mm-hmm. a unit, you know. Collective, right? Co- collective, collective, exactly. That's what okay. I'm using, yeah. Okay. And the Middle East and like Latino America, and those are collective cultures, you know. Everybody, mm-hmm. like there's no, there's not a lot of secrets. Everybody knows everything. Like as soon as mm-hmm. something happens, everybody knows. Right. That maybe that's a downside to it, but everybody's there like asking about you, knowing about you. Here, everybody's minding their own business, and that could take a person a while to adjust to. To adjust to, yeah. And uh, so did you go to public schools or were you into private schools when you came here? <laughs> yeah. It's a good question, man, because the the, the school the school period uh, the school experience was was actually a, a very um, let's say uh, defining defining one in you know in in, in my childhood. Uh, so we went to public schools, um, and I remember we actually in the first year it was for me um, what was that fourth fifth grade I was supposed to uh, start at fifth grade because that's where I left at Libya. So they actually gave me, they dropped me a whole year because I didn't speak English fluently at that time. So, so they dropped me a whole year and I thought that was kind of unfair just because I didn't speak English because, and I was learning, you know, like I was learning quick as a child. So they dropped me a year and then I started fifth, uh, I started fourth grade. This was in New Jersey, by the way, first year. Mm-hmm. And then I passed the fourth grade uh, in New Jersey, luckily. And then after we moved to uh, Northern Virginia, um, I, I started at fifth grade. And that that was the worst school year I ever had. And the fifth can, grade. Yeah, and ask me why. Yeah. Yeah. So, the reason why is because um, the, the the area that we were living in specifically, I'm pretty sure you're aware of it. You've lived there too, I believe, Falls Church. You know, near that area. It's the suburbs of Washington D.C. Uh, that area, um, especially the neighborhood that I was in, was was a very um, uh, low class neighborhood. Uh, and there was a lot of shootings and stuff. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, actually, literally shootings, gang, gang activity. You in, know, and sometimes we'd literally hear gunshots. Near Colmore, right? Uh, actually, it was uh, Alexandria, bro. Uh, behind, I don't know exactly where, but it was some area in Alexandria, and it was really, really ghetto, man. Yeah, like, I know. It was really bad, right? So, yeah, so, like, we'd hear gunshots, and, like, the school I went to, man, was... Um, a lot of a lot of like um, traumatized kids and a lot of kids who weren't polite, uh, didn't have good manners and, and used to like pick on each other and pick on you and, and bully you, especially that I came new to the environment. 
uh, I looked like I looked weak. I didn't know how to act. Uh, you know, specifically, I was to myself, mm -hmm. reserved. So, so some kids saw that as a way to to uh, to you know um, take advantage, take advantage, yeah, and 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 bully me. So it wasn't some kids specifically. It was a couple kids. I mean, I've had a few encounters with a few kids that 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 wasn't good. Um, you know, um, they curse at you or call you like a dirty Arab, you know, yeah, yeah, um, stuff like that. And then there was a girl, bro. This girl, I'll never forget her, her name was Shanita, right? <laughs> I mean, from the name, you could tell, uh, almost, uh, you know, so she, uh, she, she used to just pick on me, man. I had no idea why, but this girl would just pick on me because I mean, obviously, there, there were some distinguishing things like I dressed differently, I was very polite, you know, I didn't know yeah. how to fit in, all this stuff, uh. So she thought I was weak, or you know, I was weak as a matter of fact, and she took advantage of that, and she she just she just she would just bully me all year long, man. I tell I, can't, I remember I remember coming home to my mom and telling her, you know what, I am not going back to school. I I don't want to go back in there. This girl doesn't want to stop. I tried everything. I tried to talk to her nicely. I tried to you know to talk to her roughly. I tried to you know uh, fight with her, but nothing is working, and she keeps getting worse. I told her, I tried every single way. My mom was like, you know, let's go talk to the teacher. As a matter of fact, you know who went to the teacher? Who? It was your mom and my mom. Oh damn. Okay. Yeah, and uh, which is very interesting. Uh, they went there. They spoke to her. And, you know, she said, oh, yeah, we're going to do what we can and, and we're going to stop it. We take this very seriously and okay. nothing happened. That, that's the unbelievable. I think about it now. The school should have been sued because that's serious stuff, you know, like it's bullying, bro. And it got to, to it got to me like it actually got to me psychologically. I couldn't even pay attention to my to my work anymore. And the teacher would see her doing that, you know, and she wouldn't care. I, that. I mean, it's maybe it's a stretch to call it like racism and kind of stuff like that. But <clears throat> First of all, all yeah. I feel like all schools worldwide have those kind of kids. They're just, they're just natural. Like it's not, it's like natural selection. There, with every generation, there's a group of bullies. There's a group of people who get bullied, and there's people who just are nerds or dorks or whatever they stay on the side. And I experienced bullying growing up too. But I, I feel like in your story, maybe the way, because I know my mom and your mom would would have the full uh, hijab and uh, jilbab and everything like right and when they went to a white school and so the, the teachers didn't take them seriously you know what i'm yeah. saying they're just like uh, uh smile and wave smile and wave and then they didn't take the response yeah respond seriously but i can't i can't say for sure so <clears throat> uh so that that was going on and when when was when did the like did you move did you change that school eventually was it just like elementary uh, school or yeah so what happened was it was elementary school fifth fifth grade uh my first from first school year in in, in Falls church or in virginia and my second school school year in the u.s i was just getting adjust, i was just adjusting to the system you know and then um what was your question again I mean, did that uh, follow on to middle school? What did it end? Oh, actually, actually, middle school were the best uh, school years of my life, believe it or not. Uh, it, it stopped there, uh, you know, uh, for that time. And then I moved on to middle school. I don't remember seeing her again in middle school, but I did see her again in high school. Okay. When I saw her in high school, bro, I was walking down the aisle. I was walking down the hallway. I saw her, looked at her. She said something to me. I, I don't know what exactly she said. I don't even know if she was something positive or negative. I just turned around and like cussed her out, man. I was like, you, you know, like, do 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 do. I just, bro, I just like lashed out at her, man. She was like, and she was like, you dirty effing Arab, oh, you know. And I was like, is yeah. she a white girl? She's she's African American, you know. Okay. Um, I mean, I've met a lot of nice African American girls, but yeah, yeah, we're not. Uh, yeah, I know yeah. what you're saying, but uh, I I was asking because like you could have uh, thrown it back right back at her since she's using racial slurs, right? 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but, I could have easily. And until <laughs> now, I still don't want to hold any grudge against the African American race because one of my best friends in in in, in elementary school, Darius Brown, yeah. uh, and and even in in Garrett in middle school and high school were, were African Americans, and they yeah. were the most legit and most uh, loyal friends you can ever have. Bro, yeah. You know. Yeah, I mean, so, as you grow and you develop your reasoning and logic, it's it's never a wise thing to to blame an action of a few on the whole race. It's it's a it's the same thing we're kind of experiencing as Arabs or Muslims. Uh, right. A few people are uh, extreme and they uh, they like to I know they they like to they have some suicidal ideas. They like to bomb themselves and kill people, and the whole Muslim religion right. gets uh, painted oh, with definitely. that thing. So we're, we're not about that. But you know that's good. You got over it like really quickly, and you just had a good uh, good years in middle school and high school. Right. So let's like let's fast forward towards you know yeah. high school, right? Yeah. Those are the years where you start defining yourself as an adult, especially as you're approaching your senior year. You have to choose your major. Uh, right, right. You have to uh, look at, you know, your future more seriously. Right. So what what, uh, what were your, let's say, not dreams, but aspirations to grow up? What was the field you, you looked up to and you wanted to study? And, oh, know, interesting. Okay. What, what were you, those years like? Okay. So those, those years were very cloudy for me, man. Like very unclear, very... Uh, very um, depressing, okay. especially going into ninth grade. I, lo- I just lost myself, man. I, I don't know. It ha- I mean, some people say high school are the best years of your life. Yeah. I don't know what happened to me. I was unhappy with the environment I was in. Okay. You know, gangs, MS-13 and, and all these gangs. And, you know, um, you just see like the way the kids acted so superficial and so uh, disrespectful. And, okay. and, and there's no loyalty and friendships. And, and everybody is trying to fit in and pretend like that there's something they're not. And, and you know, you, you get secluded. And, and I, 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 I pre- I, I, you know, I... I, I, I respect the fact that I did that. You know why? Because I felt like I kept my identity. So yeah. I didn't want to fit in. I didn't want to dress the same as them. And it, it kind of alienates you. But I had a few good friends that I hung out with and they were loyal. And, and that for me, that was enough. But 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 generally, the, the years of high school, man, uh, were very, very depressing. And, and, and I just... I, I couldn't even get up in the morning, man. I'd come to class late. I mean, ninth grade went fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was mm-hmm. trying to adjust and then adapt. And then 10th grade, bro, 10th grade hit me hard. I got depressed, literally. Like, that's the first episode of depression I ever had, right? Yeah, yeah. So, like, I just got out of nowhere. I just started, like, sleep uh, sleeping in, uh, waking up, like, after the bus left and walk, having to walk to school in freezing weather. Um, and then getting into class and sleeping in my classes. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I, my parents didn't notice all this. Uh, but then I went to my mom one day and I was like, listen, you know, there's something wrong with me. I don't know what it is. And I walked out of the room. Okay. And then and then after that, she was like, what is it? What is it? I hope it, you don't need a doctor. She scared the hell out of me, bro. <laughs> now looking back at it, it's like, it's a bad idea to give this to your mom. Instead of like comforting you, she gets more anxious than you are. Exactly. Like, exactly, bro. So she was like, she was like, no, no. What do you, uh, she's like, no, what is it? You, you need a doctor, inshallah. You don't need a doctor. You know, God willing, you don't need a doctor and i was like no no i don't need a doctor uh I, I walked out of room and i got i got anxious i got scared of the way she you know reacted and i just sat in my room and then my dad comes and he's like he sat down he's like so what's wrong you know uh, anything happening to you and my father was never really emotional with us yeah. uh, until some later incidents in life around 2008 2009 i can explain okay. it later but he was trying to tell me like look you want to talk let's talk uh, i'm gonna treat you as a friend you know if you want to talk to me well, we can talk about things and i was like yeah okay thank you and he left yeah. i didn't want to open up you know yeah yeah i got you so I can relate to that depression stuff. It's, uh, and I feel right now looking back at it, it's there are there there's you said you said it, you know, like you hit that you hit the nail on the head when you said you wanted right. to keep your identity. It's I feel inside of us there's two voices, and if uh, some people with deeper issues, there could be more than one voice, more than two voices. But 
Right. There's the voice that you feel that's always trying to push you forward to good stuff and keep you on the straight line of whatever you're meant to be here. Mm-hmm. And there's another voice that trying to create a separate identity for you and those two voices battle and uh, usually you desire to fit to fit and that's a social thing that's like through uh, evolution as human beings if we did not belong to a tribe to a place we usually get abandoned and killed and uh, uh, so we fear that in our inner core and it feel makes us feel dissatisfied so if we don't fit that's what that's what we usually feel mm-hmm. but people who refuse to conform and usually stay even even though they they might go through some uh, some negative experiences emotionally, but at the, at, they come cleaner on the other side because they keep something so precious, and it takes less time for them to recover it, if that makes sense. Right. You know? right. So uh, that was going on in high school, and by the time, like, okay, so what what was your views on life? I know we grew up religiously, and right. for me. It's not to this any kind of religion, but religion is just like a set of beliefs right. that you're handed down from your past generation, and you have to accept wholeheartedly. And any questioning mm-hmm. of it is demonized. Mm-hmm. So our worldview, at least mine, came from religion. So the universe was structured this way: there was heaven, there was hell, there was these people, that people, and right. And there's that part of the way you view of life, and mm-hmm. let's, there's the other part that we can call society and the world meaning you know there's countries there's religions there's political parties there's stuff going on and, mm-hmm. and you know the the time we were born into was just crazy times man wars happening all the time yep. uh conflicts crises all this kind of stuff some people managed to ignore it completely and just you know live their life with their friends you know do whatever they want to do but some people, they really look at it and they get some more confused. Were you one of those people who looked around at the news, the events, and just got made you more confused? And- Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Well, I mean, you know, going through the experiences that I had to go through in elementary school and then in high school and all this stuff, um, that already kind of made me a little shaky about things, you know. But but after 9-11, mm-hmm. you know. Um, how, how old were you when you not, were you? 9/11 so I was about uh, 11 years old and that was yeah. your like sixth grade uh, I was in I remember I was you know where I was yeah bro the, I was in I was in uh, so I was in middle school in seventh grade I think okay and I remember it was in my favorite class science class right okay and uh, the teacher was talking in the class and we, we had like glass windows I remember Glasgow middle school okay it was like glass glass rectangular glass windows and then out of nowhere the windows just shook Damn. You know, because we're, yeah, we're uh, close to Pentagon. We're Pentagon. close to the Pentagon. Yeah. So, so the first attack, uh, terrorist attack, happened. Uh, I mean, I don't know if it was a terrorist attack or not, but you know, it was a terrorist attack because innocent people died. Yes. Um, so when that happened, uh, we just we didn't know what's how we thought it was an earthquake at first, and then I remember they called on the on the announcement, and they were like, uh, you know, this, there's a there's an emergency. Everyone must evacuate, and everybody started panicking. Some people thought like some people were spreading rumors that you know things were planted uh, in in the school itself, but that didn't happen. So so right. I, I was in class, and okay. uh, my reaction to that, bro, was was actually very uh, very uh, shocking. You know, mm-hmm. um, the fact that uh, someone can 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 commit such an act on, in innocent lives. Um, was was just a traumatizing event man and especially growing up and then the fact that we thought or we were told that muslims did it right um yeah. th- that made me disgraced to oh. you know to 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 be called uh, a terrorist yeah. when i wasn't you know and 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 i know that my religion the core of my religion or my beliefs 
uh, doesn't allow me to go and kill innocent people. You know, that's not what my religion teaches me. That's not what the way I was brought up, yeah. and that's not what I believe. Like out of my instinct as a human being, you mm-hmm, know. Mm-hmm. So uh, and 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 it was it was it was going through that period was extremely tough. I remember, you know, the, the whole media of the whole world media was against us, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and and the, the whole society was, was was against us, and and there were a lot of attacks against Muslims. Uh, in, in at mosques and at, at public places, and I remember there was a lady at a store that called my mom a terrorist, you know, and go back to your country, and mm-hmm. all this stuff. And my uh, a couple times actually that happened with my mom, and I wish I was there to defend my mom, you know. I, I would at least talk back and, and tell the lady, you know, set her straight, tell yeah. her that you know that someone's here, and my mom deserves more respect than that. Someone's protecting this person. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, but because she saw my mom wearing the the hijab, you know, yeah, yeah. So that's what happened, bro. Sometimes I feel people who do that, the best way to respond is to smile and wave. Mm-hmm. And ask if you can help them that's that because you know that energy needs the same energy fed back to it it's like a fire that needs gasoline and if you give it the gasoline that's they get satisfied deep get down satisfied, yeah. but mm-hmm. when people do that stuff i just i mean it took me a while it's not like this is a natural talent you have to go through trials and tribulations to understand this from throughout your own experience right is but when people act vicious it's, right. it's wrong to react in the same manner i and, agree you know uh you just smile you be calm and be like how can i help you is there anything wrong yeah <laughs> and th- that i mean i mean that makes them more pissed but at the end of the day you don't get you don't get you know you don't give them the satisfaction of making you uh, go angry like you were telling me a Absolutely. few days ago that uh your father's friend who you were helping out and then he just uh yeah out of nowhere started treating you in a bad way yeah if you were just eating breakfast and then he started talking that way and you just ignored him and be like, hey, sit down. Do you want to you want to talk? Right. Like that that would have sometimes in good human beings when when the when when that response is coming from stress, usually that response the dismantles them and the, I mean disarms them. Yeah, and that's they true. come back to their senses if they're good human beings. So. Yes, and it's just coming out of stress or they had a problem with their right. wife or something, so they're lashing out. That right. usually calms them down. But if it's coming from a deeper psychological issue, then they're just gone. Right, right. And right. Uh, it's good that we talked about a 9/11 a little bit because that's yeah. a, that's a defining moment in all Muslims' oh, life. Absolutely. All like all throughout the world because we were just as any other denomination, religion, sect, party, whatever. We're just practicing our lives, you know, believing the world the way it is. Right. And suddenly this event out of nowhere is blamed on the Muslims. And they, uh, if you ever hear about MK Ultra, yeah. MK Ultra uses a trauma to condition the way you think because once you're under that level of stress and shock, your mind will accept anything told to it. If you put a person in that amount mm-hmm. of stress and shock and you tell him the sky is pink and the the only the, the only reason it's mm-hmm. blue is because there's a projector somewhere, they'll be like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. They'll believe anything mm-hmm. is what I'm trying to say. And they're very weak and acceptable at that time. Exactly. Right? Vulnerable, sorry. Exactly. Right. And that's that's what they, they created on both sides, right? They created in the American people, they created a lot of fear that we're under attack, we're vulnerable, we're getting attacked. And in the Muslim population, they gave us this false identity that we tried to hide from and i i know i can say that because i was i i remember so anybody who was older than maybe five six years old Mm. will remember exactly where he was what was happening in that event because it's a it's something that will fall down in history as one of the most uh vicious deceptive Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of words you can describe this event right i was i was in second grade Mm -hmm. and at the time i was in a private school it was isa Right. 
uh, and suddenly I don't remember what is happening before and after, but I I just remember running in the halls. Like suddenly the bells start uh, vibrating and it's like alarms signing out, and the school is in panic. The teachers are in mm-hmm. panic. Everybody's mm-hmm. panicking. No, nobody knows what to do, and they evacuate the school. And uh, I remember being so confused and. Uh, afraid terrorized at the time because i'm like oh my god what's happening everybody's panicking and mm-hmm. as kids we are we are like a sponge of emotions so whatever the adults are feeling we feel like it's the right way to feel we make we take we take it we make it our own right we emulate and, it right yep and yep. we intensify intensify it mm-hmm. so the whole energy of the school is just panic and it's isa so we were like it's all muslim school and probably the administrators and teachers know what was going on and what's so uh, so Right. I remember everybody had to go to their bus and I just was running and scrambling around to find my own bus. I was running around. It's like, oh, I don't want to miss the bus. They're all bus. I started seeing buses mm-hmm. leaving and everything. I'm like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. And suddenly uh, one of my second grade teachers, my mom has like a close relationship to her. She contacted her. Mm-hmm. So she uh, she gave me a ride home instead of going on the buses because my mom was just a. Uh, She's like your mom, probably. They have to, they're so yeah. way overprotective, you yeah. know, in a way that's like smothering. Like, come on, just like, like yeah, let, me let it go. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, I remember that was happening, and then I was in the car ride with her, and she she kept telling me like a very big event went down, and uh, it's really like uh, sh- some shady stuff, and you had to go home. I, your mom called me. Mm. Then I went home, and then I saw the footage. I don't think we made it past 12 p.m. Like uh, by the t- the attacks happened at 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and by the time I was 12 or like 11:30, I was already home. Mm-hmm. And that day, all news channels, uh, movie channels, uh, weather channels, every single channel on on the cable just kept showing the attacks over and over mm-hmm. again. It would show the first plane, the explosion, the collapse, the explosion, the collapse. And right. now looking back at it, that's that's a way of implementing the, the trauma control. Mm-hmm. They want to keep showing you that event over and over again so it, like, it sticks into your subconscious. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, I remember, you know... It's funny when you look back at stuff and you see how you were and how it is and you just have a different perspective. But they, on the first day, they knew who did it, how they did it. Um, they found passports, you know, that's like <laughs> funny, on the rubble the same day. And we just believed it. And for me, it's something that's 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 the first event that made me look deeper into stuff or at least right. start suspecting, smelling something fishy. Because as you said, they blamed the Muslims. And my mm-hmm. dad was an activist and... Uh, the people I grew around with all, all Muslims, so I could never imagine that the people around me were kind of like this, uh, this monstrous, right? Right, right, right. Of course. That was so shocking. I I never really experienced any hate. I would hear a lot about it, but I never really experienced it myself. But yeah, that was my experience with 9/11. Okay. You know, okay. and uh, my father's organizations, and I feel like I started feeling my father's anxiety at the time because his stuff was getting investigated and all that kind okay. of stuff. Okay, what year was that? 2000 uh, like 2001 to 2003 okay okay yeah so you saw your father getting investigated and you felt like uh you know th- there's something wrong you knew right yeah because okay. i mean my everybody his their father is their uh, role model oh their yeah hero so oh definitely man. when that stuff starts getting questioned your foundation on life gets questioned oh definitely absolutely, man, absolutely so oh yeah 9-11 is something man i'm i'm just waiting to the for the day when it becomes public knowledge i i I suspect mm-hmm. there's like a, around 20-25% of the population in America that knows mm-hmm. that official story was baloney. Right. Uh, but they don't know exactly what happened. But they they don't believe the official story. But right. there's a bigger population that believes the official story. So as time goes by, you can never hide the truth. 
truth will always come back because the truth is the truth. It does not need anything to prove it because it's in its essence, it's truthful. So uh, I'm just waiting for the day when this becomes public knowledge and how people are going to react to it and like all this consequence that's going to happen because there's a right. Uh, if you know the architects and engineers for 9/11 Truths. Yeah, I've heard of those. Yeah, yeah they released a report, right? Yeah, they released a like very long report proving scientifically that the the collapse of the towers could not happen the way they said it happened and uh, and there's some people uh, demanding a new investigation to 9/11. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, I'm just interested to see how that uh, falls through. Okay. So going back to your story, man. Yeah. Uh, high school, choosing your major, you know. Yeah. Finally, like last year of high school, that that's where you start get, taking life a little bit more seriously because mm-hmm. now you have to choose your occupation. Right. You choose uh, what you want to study, right. where you where you want to study, acceptance to colleges and whatnot, and mm-hmm. tuition and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, what was that experience sure, like man. for you? Oh, it's interesting, man. Uh, believe it or not, I actually didn't take it so seriously as I should have. Um, uh, you know, I, I was. Uh, considering the fact that i was so confused about mm-hmm. my life people and you know just every i just hated everything man i you know it's it, of course it's adolescence stage uh, yeah. stage of, of of your of your life but i just i felt like i hated everything i was sick of everything i didn't like the the home environment i was living in even though my father is not abusive to to my mother or anything you know but i just didn't like the way things were going you know i didn't have um i, I didn't like the lifestyle here anymore in the u.s like uh, i felt like i wanted to go back home you know, mm-hmm. and yeah, live back. Yeah. This was like 2004, 2003. Okay. Yeah, you know, I, I just, I wasn't feeling anymore, man. I was depressed, uh, stressed out from school. I, I lost the meaning of my life, even though the soccer, I think, was kept what kept me alive, man. Soccer and running, because I played for the, the soccer team to school. Okay. Okay. I didn't make it, by the way, the first year. Uh-huh. And, and I worked all year long for that. So that was a very, uh, it, it was a huge bummer, you know, the fact yeah. that you worked all year long alone yeah uh, we, of course we had conditioning through a professional co- uh, the school coach but uh after all that imagine four or five months conditioning almost every single day it was really tough conditioning mm-hmm. i went to the tryout yeah. and i remember this moment i'll never forget man i went to the tryout. i made it through the first cut by the way okay. and it was cut we were cut from like 100 people or 80 okay. to like 30 or 40 okay and then after that uh they uh, i got cut but but after i made the first cut i remember imagine this bro in high school Mm-hmm. I remember I went with a friend of mine, a Moroccan guy. Okay. Um, and then we 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 arrived there. We practiced. They cut him on the first cut. Okay. So when they cut him on the first cut, uh, we were back on the bus, and he thought I got cut too. Oh. So yeah. we're sitting down talking, man. You know, like yeah, yeah. He's like, man, it sucks. There's always next year. There's always next year, man. Uh, you know, maybe we'll make it next year. And then I was like, no, bro. I actually uh, I actually made it. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry you didn't make it, but you know, try uh, next year. But I was like, I made it. And then, bro, I remember his reaction, bro. His face, like his his, his gesture, yeah. bro, like his body language. He he was shocked at that that how I made it. The way he looked at me, he's like, you made it. Stop lying. No, you're lying. I swear you're lying. I was like, no, bro, I, I made the team. He's like, no, you're you're lying. How the hell did they take you and not take me? You know, it's like it's yeah, jealousy yeah, yeah. and envy, you know. Yeah. And then I was like, I just I just like, yeah, bro. I mean. It, it, you, you you didn't get lucky. That's why, man. But maybe make it next time. But I felt like there's a lot of hate from his side. And that I was like, look, you know, it kind of made me lose hope in friends as well. Because look at this guy. You know, he's been my friend for a while, and he came with me to tryout. We got close closer during the practice and tryouts. And then he's like, his 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 reactions like this to to me making it. You know, yeah. Because he didn't make it. So then anyway, so then I go, bro, for the second stage of trials. Okay. And then there was a kid that I knew since elementary school. He was uh-huh. not, he was not really a friend, but he's like more like an acquaintance in school. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But we were cool. Like we used to chill and stuff. Okay. So this kid, bro. He comes up to me and you know he tells me, he's like, he's like, he's like, man, Hamza, you you suck at soccer. You're not gonna make it. 
Okay. And then I was like, well, I was like, we'll see. If I don't make it this year, I'll make it next year. Okay. And then anyway, so I didn't make it, right? But but that that's a spike that he had for me. I just I was like, I don't know why. This is what set the groundwork for my negati- negativity going into um, yeah. high school, you know. So anyway, that that the self esteem and confidence started getting low because of those things. And of course, obviously, it's my fault because I should have been more confident. I should have not trusted uh, other people's opinions of me. But you know, so I went on, didn't make it. Then tried out next year, made it. Uh, okay, JV nice. and then after that varsity nice. so so that that was good the fact that I made it even though it was tough but you asked me about uh, uh, what is it called major and, and these things and future and all that uh, I was always interested in psychology even even in high school like okay. that was a major that I, I would have taken you know mm-hmm. but I didn't decide until actually like just signing up for college that, what, that I'm gonna take that I'm gonna okay. major in something you know so uh, so I majored in psychology and, and that was the reason why even though I was like you know like whatever you yeah. know i'll just take it i just to get through school you know yeah, yeah. i wasn't interested in like making money and stuff but uh, just the fact that i liked it but so I, I majored in in that and then i remember uh i was like man you know like okay i kind of like it but i'm not gonna make much money doing this and it's hard to have your own practice and it takes yeah. years and i have to probably go to school for like seven eight years you know or six years at least and then so i was like uh i was like yeah i switched to it because i've been working it since i was like 13 12. Okay. you know i'm with Faraj, of course uh uh, Faraj bin Amran, he's uh, he used to have a computer repair shop there. Okay. He's a friend of uh, our father's. Uh, so my father used to always take me there to train on computers and stuff. So it became like a like a hobby, and then eventually I went into it, and I decided to do it because that's what I knew how to do. I didn't love it that much. It was like okay for me, you know, like something decent, better than yeah. other things. So I did it. I majored in uh, IT and business. Okay. So yeah, that's what it was. I mean, uh, it's interesting you said it's something that psychology, something you like, but you didn't choose. Yeah. And I feel, uh, I mean, it's a very big subject, but, you know, the choosing your major, it should be something you love regardless of money. Like money should be a secondary or like even not even a secondary question. And uh, but that that mo- that money aspect crept in and then it changed your whole decision about something you really mm-hmm. liked. And uh, what I also sensed from you talking is, you know, since you were going through uh phase in high school and really disconnecting from life and not really engaging 100 percent when you approached college you approached it with that same mood not taking it so seriously and that could have been a good thing Mm -hmm. because people who take it so much they get stressed stressed out about it right but i feel it came from that there from that sense of Mm -hmm. disengagement i'm like oh this is because you know I, i i relate to that in the sense that when when decisions in life are not made by you and you just have to follow a system that have your best interest in its mind and you just have to do the motions, mm-hmm. you start getting disinterested in life because all the things you want never happen. Like, you know, yeah. you, I don't think any kid out there and then, you know, let me know on the comments or whatever, if you really enjoyed school. Like, you really loved the school structure, periods, books, textbooks, quizzes, exams. I don't think any human is made to love that stuff. That stuff is just so disgusting. I hate school. And the idea that I have to go back to school to do two more years to graduate just disgusts me, man. I hate mm-hmm. it. It's, it. I feel like it sucks the soul out of me. If you ever watch Harry Potter, the third movie, where there's those dementors, you know, that like suck energy out of people. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what it does. That's that's, that's how it, it feels, man. I just that's, hate it. it it's, it's like a socialization, you know. They 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 program you in a certain way that you yeah. have to behave and serve 
uh, a greater uh, agenda or system that that you're you're gonna live in. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's I, it it's not the subject, but like yeah, school that's, that's school true. is definitely for conformity to kill your uh, passion, to kill your uh, creativity, mm -hmm. and to create a good factory in the corporate workers who just uh, follow orders. That's what yep. it is for. Yep. You know, why do you have to go to learn something four years? Believe me, if you want to really re uh, know a real profession, you can do it in a year, year and a yeah. half. You can be proficient in all the professions you do. And think about this, right? Uh, a lot of uh, degrees you go into, <clears throat> the first two years, you don't take anything related to your degree. You take history, math, uh, uh, English, writing, uh, just some filler classes. Yes. Filler classes. filler classes it never really relates to your it never own relates like, to your life all these things you can do in a calculator or just do a google search and find out if you really needed them in life right exactly it's not like uh, your your freaking ceo is going to come to you is like uh you know um salem history 101 yeah exactly history 101 you know find me the date of the net independence i need you to find it i'm going to look over you and make sure you didn't use google i mean bs bro what is this bs uh, they don't teach you accounting they don't teach you account payables they don't teach you financing they don't teach you how to make money how to invest how to save money all these necessary things for your own survival they don't teach you just so you can be a slave in that system I, yeah man i you totally know? i agree with that 100 percent. Yeah. and yeah. uh and also you know i also see it the first two years they do that to you so once you start uh getting into uh, uh the the fluff of the you know the meat of the your uh major you don't really question you're already broken down you know how in the military they break you down and then rebuild you mm -hmm. and the school is just a minor mini form of it it's like the first two years they get make you go through the system so you become adjusted and you just go through motion so once you start taking your uh, your stuff you lose that excitement and you're like okay yep. let's do this again yep. and again yeah. And for me, I remember that at some point school just became uh, an unending hell. It was a loop. You know how uh, if you ever done programming, there's an if loop, you know, in programming. It's just a loop that keeps repeating itself. Mm -hmm. Each semester, register for classes, go to orientation, go get the syllabus, buy the textbook, do the quizzes, do the homework, do the exams, get right. the grade, then move on to the next semester and the next semester and the next semester and the next semester. And mm -hmm. that was so mind numbing for me. I hated it. Completely it's useless. So much. Oh man. Uh, so you went to George Mason, right? Well, actually, I went to Nova okay. first, um, and then I I started out uh, like I said, psychology. I did IT business management. I I got out of Nova, and then I left the U.S. Okay. Uh, because some certain circumstances that went by in my life. Um, so when I left the U.S., uh, I finished school in Libya, cybersecurity engineering. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So so um so I finished school, and then I I started I worked for a consulting company, a okay. British consulting firm in in Tripoli. Okay. Uh, I did the marketing for them. Okay. And then I worked for the BBC Media Action Group. Okay. Um, and then after that, I started my own English school, the nursing center. In Libya. In Libya, yeah. Okay. Yeah, with a with a partner of mine. And then after that, you know, we're supposed we, we we just started out. We invested the money. We got a building, six month six month lease. We paid it all up front. Yeah, was uh, that twenty fourteen or pre twenty fourteen? Yeah, this is twenty fourteen. Yeah, when yeah. the war broke out. Just just at that exact time, it's crazy how all these things happened exactly at that time. So, we 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 got the building, everything. We got the 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 uh, potential. We got clients, customers, you know, whatever uh, students. Uh, we got deals, contracts with hospitals, and then we're just about to get contracts with NGOs, okay. um, you know, uh, and, and the Libyan government as well. We're going to start training their employees and stuff. And then the, the, the war starts. Yeah. Man, that was devastating. It was shocking because we put in a lot of work, man, and I was putting a lot of hopes on that. But unfortunately, that's life. You know, you got you to gotta learn how to take yeah. the punches and take move on. Take the punches, on. man, move on, you know, yep. get back up. Uh, yeah. So, if you, uh, I mean, 
you're you're free to share as many as much details as you want right but what what led to you leaving the united states that's also a major decision yeah. and uh so. under what circumstances and then how you moved you said you moved to libya and how was that transition you know well yeah well first i actually uh so so the reason was the main reason for me was i needed to get out of the environment i was in because uh there was a girl that i knew since i was a child okay and she was half libyan half american right okay and she uh she's from texas um okay she uh, i've known her since i was a kid uh we met at, at one of the libyan camps you know in ohio and stuff yeah so we 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 were supposed to be getting married in 2014 uh-huh. um and i you know the girl was a good girl i mean I, i'm still convinced that she is until now but she ended up doing something i didn't like you know um yeah. she was talking to a guy that I, t- i told her not to talk to and and Uh, she went out with him a few times, you know, behind my back. But I, th- th- just the, for the fact that I didn't know, that's what pissed me off. And I always told her, like, you know, you could do anything you want to do. You'll hurt me, do anything to me. I'll forgive you. I might fight with you, but I'll forgive you. But if you talk to another guy behind my back and, and or you do something like that, go out with him or something or have a date with him behind my back, and I don't know and you don't tell me, I will cut you off. I told her that. Yes, yes. I will cut you off and I will not get have you back in my life you know and she she said okay and she agreed and you know all that stuff but then i found out that she was talking to him and, and the guy liked her for a while mm. and you know it was obvious there was something there but then she she told him like you know like go away i have someone um she said it nicely i go you know i have someone i can't be with you and then he yeah. started begging her and then i found out they were talking so she lost him i mean he lost her then she lost me Yeah. So it was like a, nobody nobody gained anything really. Yeah. So it was it, at that time I was like, all right, man, I need to get out. I yeah. need to I need to change my entire life. That was happening in America at the time, right? Like you were in uh, the States. Yeah, I was I was here. I was okay. here. I was actually at that time I was, I was starting an identity access management company okay. uh, with uh, one of my friends, and uh, I was you know it happened during that time, and and I was like, man, all right, yeah. it's not working. So we so I left. Uh, I took a ticket straight up to Malta. Okay, yeah, I know? understand. Sometimes a lot of emotional pressure and stress. You just want to leave the place. You want not maybe a fresh. You could say a fresh start, but you just you can't stay in the same environment and, and like refresh and reboot yourself. You have to right. get out of it. And uh, right, you know, you can judge yourself whether that was a good thing or a bad thing. But ultimately, that's what happened, and you have to take it positively, or unless you mm-hmm. want to dwell and stay in that. True. So you went to Malta first, and how long did you stay in Malta? Yeah. So I went to Malta. I remember. Uh, so I stayed there for uh, six months. Um, so it's funny where how this happened, right? I go to Malta and then uh, we had we had we, we had like this old apartment. It was like from the 1980s. Uh, my 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 grandfather bought it for my 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 uncle who who used to go to Malta continuously. Mm-hmm. He didn't have a place to stay, so I I went there and I saw the apartment. It was like a little bit starting to get run down, you know. I fixed it up. I remodeled it, right? And then I decided I love this place. The apartment was looking nice now, and I'm not paying rent. I was like, I'm gonna live here, find a job, and get married, you know, whatever, and move on with my life. So I just started working on that. I was about to get a job, and then my my residence permit was was ending. You know, my visa um, yeah, yeah. time three months. So I I and my and my brother Hudayfa was coming to Libya. Okay. So my my fa- my mom called me. She's like, Yo, your brother is going to Libya. So you got you you should go there and probably take care of him. You know, and, and be yeah, with him. Yeah. He's still young and you know reckless. Yeah. So I I went I went to Libya. And that's from 2013. I remember August 1st, 2013. I went to Libya and my brother came and then that's when uh, the Libya thing started. Yeah, so you went to Libya in 2013. You weren't there before that, right? Uh, yeah, I went there. Uh, I went there in 2010. Uh, you know when? It's yeah. crazy. A month before the revolution. 
Nice. Which is which is pretty insane, bro. Like, so I saw exactly how the people, the way people were living before the revolution, and then how they're living now after. And I went about four or five times, uh, four to six times after uh, after 2013. Okay. So so that that was very interesting, man. How long did he stay like in the revolution? Like, I know it started in February. When when did he leave? Right. Libya? So I, I came in December, okay. and I left in uh, January. Oh yeah, okay. you left like before the heat started up. Exactly, just yeah. just and I felt you know what I came back. I told I told my parents, I told them like the people are so suppressed and they have no freedom of speech and no rights. I told them they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna eventually um, um, revolt. I told yeah, I told yeah. them that like I feel it. You know these things were happening in front of me that I couldn't believe were ha- were happening in Libya like under Gaddafi. There was a fight in a university because Gaddafi's guys didn't want to let some 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 guys come in and watch their their sister in her in her graduation uh, ceremony. Wow. Like they didn't want to let them attend. And and this one of them came up to the to the guard and he was like he was like yeah because this is this is the the filthy state of Gaddafi. You know? And he walked out. And those guys got pissed because you know that most of them are Gaddafi and they're yeah. from Sirtan and they, they, you know the guys from the Bedouin guys. So so they got pissed because they feel like it's an insult to them and they didn't even touch him. Okay. And by the way, he like he the guy was willing like just ready to, to fight, bro, because people lost their dignity and and they lost their 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 self confidence and their self esteem and they, they they were willing to do anything to to just uh, oppose this regime no matter yeah. what the consequences were. Yeah, yeah. So when I came, you know, and I saw complaining from people and all this stuff, I knew there's something bubbling up, you know. Yeah, and something. the revolutions were already happening in Tunis and Mosul, so it's like the the whole environment was ripe for it, you know. That's interesting, man. Right. Uh, so all these events growing up, you know, the alienation, that kind of stuff, it primed you. To think differently from other people and really look, take a second look at things. Absolutely. So, what was the major event that made you look twice in the nature of reality around us? You know, news news nowadays is fake. Politics uh-huh. is done for ulterior motives, right. and uh, the whole structure of the world where it's just uh, we have the United Nations and we have 192 countries. We're all struggling for peace, but we can't figure it out. There is just a small group of people who are terrorists who just hate the world and try to kill everybody and the world powers are struggling to tame them and the economy is just you know uh surprisingly we can't get hold of the economy we're trying to make life pe- people's lives better but we just can't manage to do that mm-hmm. all that story you know once you start investigating slowly it just falls apart and it's all orchestrated so yeah. what was what was the first event that made you, led you to <sighs> investigate the the world and events deeply but definitely 9 11 i mean like investigate it uh uh, with a thoughtful mind, yeah. uh, you know, and, and uh, with an objective approach was 9-11 uh, because I was growing up and, you know, I started to see the world and starting to pick up, you know, uh, cues and, and hints about how, how things are happening. And, and that's what triggered that, uh, you know, that, that uh, awakening. Yeah, awakening. Exactly. Uh, it was 9-11. So do you, for me, I the way it happened to me is once I figured out one lie in one place that led me to want to know everything i just started researching different subjects on many different uh, fields and just going deeper and deeper and deeper and and was was that the way it happened for you was you like you stumbled upon a subject and then you start researching and it's just uh, smelled fishy and you start investigating more and more and more yeah well the thing is i always knew um you know during our lifetimes that that muslims are suppressed and oppressed um especially in in palestine you know palestine uh, but uh, so I already and the world was completely quiet and I grew up like, uh, you know, uh, in my early years, I grew up watching and, and attending protests, uh, uh, you know, asking for for freedom for Palestine and and, you know, against the Israeli aggression against uh, the Palestinians. So I knew that there was injustice against Muslims. Yeah. So when 9-11 happened, I, you know, it was like a lot of question marks appeared and I was like, you know, wait a second. So 
so most are muslims are even in the strength to carry out these attacks you know like are, are they powerful enough to be able to carry out such attacks and how would they be able to, to penetrate uh airports and and you know and do this and have with box cutters you know and 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 get have all these connections and have the strength and and intelligence to to be able to hijack airplanes you know it, it was very 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 uh, suspicious mm -hmm. you know very fishy and and so so that's what led me in, and, and uh, to question the entire story okay. and then the fact that the media was misleading people so much and obviously you know i grew up in a muslim environment so people used to always uh, tell us like you know like uh, leaders in the community used to tell us like this media uh is trying to um um, um brainwash people and, and and you know make us um you know hated and yeah, uh, you yeah. know yeah so so that that also kind of like woke me up a little you know like like it made me look out for 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 uh for that so so i started viewing things differently i started i, I I started analyzing more. Um, I started doubting the official okay. stories. Okay. So that, that's what it was, yeah. What year was that, would you say? So this was uh, uh, starting from 2001 uh, to and up. And you know, a lot of Muslims, uh, members of Muslim uh, community were um, prosecuted yeah. for things that there's no solid evidence that they actually did. Uh, so that also um, triggered uh, my, 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 you know, um, my suspicion about, about the way things were done. Uh, Okay. Okay. Nice. So, yeah. uh, that 9/11. 9/11 is definitely a major event that makes anybody with a, with a, with a sane, let me say a sane mind or a thoughtful person. A thoughtful person would investigate it and just try to check more what was really going on. Mm -hmm. uh, but do, do you have in your life a period where you started researching different subjects? You know, mm -hmm. World War One, Vietnam. Uh, mm -hmm. The Iraqi war, the regimes, you just start researching deeply and uncovering lie after lie? Uh -huh. Well, I mean, obviously, uh, honestly, man, our support for Israeli government itself is something I learned early on. I, re I, re I researched that um, online and uh, through some organizations as well. And the fact that our government supports such an oppressive regime um, and a tyrannical uh, apartheid, you know, is yeah. a terrorist regime. Uh, it shocked me, you know, the fact that our government, there's something going on that's not right. Yeah. The fact, the, the foundation of this country and the, 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 um, the foundation that the, the foundations that the um, founding fathers set in this country uh, do not permit uh, our, our country and our government to support an apartheid state, you know, yes. especially one like Israel. So that one um, ha triggered a lot of questions in me. So I get that. So, you know, America is usually portrayed in movies around the world, a country of peace, democracy, and uh, making your dreams come true. And it's all this benevolent place. But when the discrepancy between that description and what's really going on, <coughs> what's really going on is very huge, that makes you scratch your head. It's not that uh -huh. they were just, you know, 10 feet away and it's just a, a simple error that they could rectify. It's something so major. And, uh, you know, the Palestinian, the Palestinian conflict uh, and occupation hasn't got a lot of media attention except for the last maybe 10 years. People are starting to wake up more to it. Mm -hmm. But before that, it was a very suppressed subject. Nobody really knew what was going on. And that, that, that I can agree on you that that was really shocking, <clears throat> mm -hmm. especially when I grew up in Jordan. Palestine was just a border away and all the people had Palestinian origins and they were... Uh, trying to go to protests and stuff and I was really my dissonance came in this avenue that Palestine is only one state away 
And if we really want to do something, why is our own king, our own government here in Jordan blocking us and actually, mm-hmm. you know, supporting the Israeli government and doing all that? Like, don't don't get a, a mad at the Israelis as much as you get mad at the people who blocking you from going to yeah. the other side or cooperating with that other side. And right. Uh, and, you know, it's it's also when when there's something so uh, horrific and so major but everybody's turning a blind eye to it. And whenever you bring it up the subject, you're made to look like the fool. That's very fishy. Like, mm-hmm. yo, if there's a fire going on in the house and you just start, hey, I smell some smoke, I feel some heat, and people around you are like, no, just relax, bro. You're just being uh, too sensitive. Sit down, there's nothing going on. You're like, no, literally, there's smoke. You don't see the smoke. And everybody's like, no, this is the air we breathe. This is normal. That makes you start like doubting yourself. Like, yeah. wait a minute, what's... What's wrong with you guys? This there's really a fire. You're trying to you're trying to make me doubt my own five senses. You're trying right. to make me doubt that stuff I see with my eye. I cannot right. keep on doing this, you right. know. I'm sorry, I, I just want to interrupt real quick. Um that also has to do with the amount of manipulation and brainwashing um the, the society society has gone through. Uh they've become desensitized <clears throat> to seeing these things, you know? Yeah. And and uh that's that's why I believe they're just uh they're just hypnotized, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know? So, so what what other kind of subjects have you uh, researched besides 9/11, Israeli occupation, uh, well, events around the world, stuff you know that really, right? Um, well, I mean, well, I mean, I've researched World War Two, mm-hmm. World War One, the Vietnam War, um, obviously the Iraq War when it happened. Um, you know, we we're all aware, and when we're we're yeah. social media starting to to you know pop up and. Um, so that that was that just came naturally, you know. Okay. And obviously, you watch the news sometimes different. Not really, not the American news, not the, not the mainstream media, but you watch watch different sources uh, from overseas and stuff. And and you get you'd pick up some stuff from here and here and here, and then you'd compare like what that country said, what that what that you know um, news channel said in that country to what the, our mainstream media said, and you'd see like the differences and the way things are being portrayed, and to lead you into thinking what. So that that was interesting too. Okay, so uh, at what year did you start, say, that you started researching Vietnam, World War, all this kind of stuff? Were you in America at the time, or you left already? Yeah, I, I was in the U.S. Uh, this was probably around uh, 2000, uh, 2005, 2006. Nice. I started okay. getting interested in that stuff, and I love history. Okay. History is, is, is one of my favorite subjects, uh, so so it just came naturally, man. I would just read. read I would read articles, read books. And how, how, how was uncovering a lot of these subjects make you feel compared to like society around you and to yourself and your own image of the world? How did that make you feel? Oh, interesting, man. Uh, good question. Um, well, I started viewing the world differently, that this world is, is in fact, an unfair place. Mm-hmm. Uh, this world is, in fact, a place where it's, I mean, well, you know, the quote that says uh, survival of the fittest mm-hmm. applies to our uh, to our reality, okay. Um, and this 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 world is is pretty cruel and cold. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that I changed that view uh, made things a little easier for me because it was always like you know um, a mystery for me. You know the reality of this mm-hmm. world. How does it look like? But then when I traveled, okay, and I saw the world like by my own eyes. I saw different countries, different ethnicities, cultures, and I compared. You know, lived with different people. <laughs> that was a very eye opening thing because. That actually made me more positive about my outlook on the world. It changed my entire perspective, and I, I met, you know, people from all walks of life, and 
I, it actually made me realize that there is a lot of good in this world, yeah. believe it or not. Yeah. Because I was in situations, man, where I would, I would just, I, I was going to be either on the street or I was going to be homeless or without food. And someone somewhere would come to me and, and offer me something or someone that I asked would help me, you know, and, and that was <laughs> absolutely amazing uh, because I didn't think that there would be that kind of kindness and generosity from, from other people. I kind of mm -hmm. lost that hope, you know? Yeah. 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 And that's the dark space I want to expand on uh, is once you start looking at the reality of the world and, you know, the way you described it, <clears throat> the way you described it as being cold, uh, unfair, and uh, there's a very big conspiracy going on. The truth is being manipulated. We are being uh, told lies to, to our own detriment and all that stuff that makes you... Especially when the people around you don't see it and you feel alone in seeing it, you're like, am I crazy or is the world crazy? And you go into yeah. that phase of doubting yeah. yourself. It, uh, it's really psychologically like challenging to Definitely. go through that phase, you know, Definitely. and not finding people who think the same way and slowly you get like uh, isolated and, right. you know, you get into those dark holes. Right. So uh, believe it or not, this year for me mm -hmm. was the year I, I, I sort of I've never seen things more clear. Uh, about the world than 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 this year, you okay. Know? And I feel like this year opened up my eyes more than 2018, 2019 mm -hmm. were the the defining years of my of my perspective. You know, the way okay. I viewed life. You know, okay. the world. And it's honestly, I do have a, a negative side uh, where my view is is realistically and objectively negative about the world. But but the positive side overweighs it because now I'm looking at things from a, a logical perspective. Okay. You know, and okay. I try to. Uh, I try to change what I can change mm -hmm. from what's around me. You know. So, uh, how long did that phase of, let's say, darkness after you wake up to the reality? How how long did that period last? And what what were the were the dominant moods, uh, emotions, and thoughts going on in your head while oh, you were? I mean, honestly, man, that that it, I would have times in my life where it would come for about that dark dark period, you know, uh, the perfect depressive episodes. It would come for about three to four months. Mm -hmm. um, of course, like you said earlier, subconsciously, there are things running in the background and uh, experiences, you know, past, whatever. But I feel like also some events that happened to me, like the, the, the girl, the, my ex-fiance and, you know, some of my other ex-girlfriend and things like that uh, also um, invigorated that, you know, and, and uh, it's amplified it. Okay. So, so what happened is uh, I feel like the, the 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 way I view the world now it is gonna be I'm gonna have more happiness because I I, I was able to distinguish between what's 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 good for me and what's bad for me you know mm -hmm. um, and uh, go back to your question to go back to your question you said you said uh, what was your question what was the dominant moods in that period and how long did it last okay so the dominant moods okay so I, I've had I, I would have like I mean, it sounds honestly, it sounds bipolar, even yeah, though I'm not yeah. bipolar. But I would have like, like I would have like a, like it depends what I was doing. Always yeah. depends on what I was doing. If I was going out, uh, you know, being positive, talking to people, and like uh, working and stuff. Okay. Uh, especially when I was away from the U.S., uh, you're very vulnerable as as a person, you know, as a foreigner, an expat. So when I was like working and doing things and working out, I would like have like a good four, four to six to seven months of of like you know, um, good mood and and you know. A positive positive outlook on life and good things would happen to me and then like an event would happen like a loss of a job let's say or, or a traumatizing event with a, with a girl you know like i've had that two times in my life okay oh actually once because uh yeah anyway mm -hmm. so once that that would happen or like a loss of a job or or like a, a really 
bad experience with a person okay. uh, that would kind of bring me down in a way not because I'm weak but but because it would trigger those negative emotions again you okay, know yeah. and the past traumas and all that I, I like the way you're uh, you're becoming aware of that because also when it was happening to me it was like something hit you out of nowhere and you just start sinking in that depression and anxiety and you know you wake up every morning you're like why the fuck did I wake up I wish I just never woke up again and you know yeah and all that and it's it starts getting like stronger and stronger and stronger and you know now you can look at it as a choice you made that choice to marinate in those emotions and you didn't have the tools and the awareness of what was going on so you, you know it's like a vacuum that pulled you in right 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 and right. uh you know it could be events around the world researching and then the picture you built around the world starts crumbling or it could be events on your life and uh your your looks on relationships and your faith and humanity and people around you starts crumbling and then or it could be also your view on yourself you think that you know when things don't work out for you you're like you know they will never for work out for me ever again i'm gonna be on the streets i'm never gonna make any money i'm gonna be this loser and you keep telling yourself this kind of stuff and you just keep feeling worse and you're not aware that you shouldn't be telling yourself that stuff you know instead of saying oh uh speed bumps you know happen once in a time uh you get hits in life you just gotta you know uh get up and move on and take it in a positive way what can you learn from it instead you keep go down in a negative route and like it pushes you i mean it pushed me like you know to suicidal phase like mm -hmm. i had a three four month phase where i was just suicidal i hated my own existence i hated myself and it, it was like having a very negative uh you know perspective glasses on life everything i could i could look at the most beautiful event and i could just see all the negative stuff about it and point them out and just you know, make it look bad and just you know right it's right. a very negative place to be in and i i lost faith in myself and in humanity i never lost faith in god but i okay. feel that i felt that god didn't care I didn't let's say that God didn't exist, but I thought God didn't care mm -hmm. about the way I felt. And I felt that too, man. I felt that too. Uh, I, I, I feel like I went through a similar phase as you. Um, it was about four months as well, four to six months. Uh, it was after my breakup with with the, my latest girlfriend in Boston. Okay. She was actually the only girl, honestly, I'll tell you, that I actually loved. You know, okay. Because of the ex-fiance girl, I knew her since I was a child, so it was like, you know, uh, my, my mom knew her mom, okay. so it was like, you know, let's get married, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. this one is like, it was a love story, bro, like, and I actually moved countries, I left my job to go to go be with her, you know? Okay. So, the, when we broke up, it was very traumatizing, and, and I don't know, uh, there, there was a lot of events that led to it, the, the treatment from her her family, her sp specifically her mom, her father was pretty cool with me, her, her mother, the way she tried to tear up her relationship, the manipulation that she used against the girl, uh, and the, the, the continuous and persistent, uh, uh, you know, attempts to destroy us. She eventually succeeded, and she plotted it all together. She brought the whole family together. Uh, he, he had a cousin. My ex-girlfriend had a cousin working in Dubai, and I was, you know, Arab Libyan. Yeah. And she tried to get. She invited the entire family, but to put pressure on the girl, brought brought her there, uh, brought the cousin, and she told him. To, she told him, "Tell her about Arabs." No. Just uh, like that, based on his experience in Emirates, okay. one of the worst yeah. uh, people, play, countries that people get treated, right? Yeah. So, so he just went down in Arabs, and he's like, oh, yeah. "Shit, this, 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 this." They treat people like this. So the girl was like starting to lose it, and then anyway, we started fighting. Okay. And then we, I broke up with her first, then she broke up with me, and then we start going back and forth. And then I left the country, Malta. She talked back to me. She's like, "Come back. I want you. I want you back in my life." Blah blah. I came back to to Bosnia. Okay. After I arrived, I was like, "So let's get back to it." She's like, "Okay, let's get back to it." I was like, "So you're gonna talk to your parents?" You want to make this official? I mean, I want to get married. You know, I don't want to just be like a 
thing on the outside uh, when it's official. Mm-hmm. She was uh, because she's not even able to live with me otherwise. Yeah, they won't let her yeah, move, yeah. you know. And and she was like, uh, no, I don't want to talk to them. So I was like, why'd you bring me back here, you know? Yeah. So I felt betrayed at the fact that she was said I'm serious, come back, and she wasn't. I mean, you know, I, I mean, you can look at it from different ways. I. Right now, I'd just like to look at the positive things. Maybe you were not <coughs> in the right mental space to see it that Absolutely way. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. She was willing to make a sacrifice despite her parents. Yes. She was trying to run away from her parents just yes. for you. Yes. And us coming from a Middle Eastern culture, if, our, if the parents are not on board, we just we say F this whole thing, you know. Yeah. And uh, That's what happened. it could be for the better or the worst. You never know. Mm. She might be back in your life in the future. I'm not you trying to tie, I'm not trying to uh, like go down on you and say that right. hey, you ruined something good right. or she was she was sacrificing her p- relationship with her parents right. to f- uh, to have a relationship with you right. when she was serious and then you let her down. Usually, people get take a lot of <clears throat> a lot of time to heal from that to get out of that funk. But right. yeah, breakups are really. Uh, really tough especially when you're serious with that person and then if hope falls apart it's right. like something you put so much faith in just suddenly disappears and absolutely uh, expectations and you have you know yep. then your whole your whole it changes your entire life man like you there there's i mean is even chemically in your, in your brain like there's a chemical called dopamine that that you know increases and it connects you with yeah. that person you know and once once the, the breakup happens, that chemical gets reduced to like by like, I don't know, some huge percentage. And that's why you get, de- they say like scientifically, that's why you actually get depressed, you yeah, know, yeah, or biologically. Yeah. So that that's, there's a lot of uh, um, um, defining things and interesting things about that, that subject. But you know, the, the problem is this, I, I went to Bosnia, mm-hmm. uh, I left my job in Malta because okay. I couldn't get a residence permit. So if I, if I overstayed, yeah. I was working for an architectural company there. Yeah. Uh, this is 2016, by the way. Mm-hmm. Architectural company, uh, direct uh, managing, uh, okay. sorry, uh, marketing. So then uh, I met her, I liked her. The, the owner was like, I'm going to get you a residence permit. But I left, I sacrificed for her. So I left there. I went there with a plan, right? I yeah. went there. My father was like, okay, if you're going to go to Bosnia, let me bring your brother, Hadifa, from Malaysia. Okay. Uh, he's gonna finish school in Bosnia because uh, Malaysia is, is, has issues, and then you guys start a travel agency. Because I told him I want to start travel agencies. He's like, you guys have a travel agency together. So I was like, okay, cool. He's like, uh, a friend of his is gonna help me. So I arrive in Bosnia, bro. It's like I remember around this time, October, right? October fifteenth, mm-hmm. sixteenth. So I arrive there, and then it's complete winter. The streets are empty. Last time I came was in the summer. The whole country yeah. changed, right? Yeah. It's very depressing. It's cloudy for like four or five months straight. Yeah. yeah. So I arrived in a, and I, my, my hotel was like far away from the city and I didn't know anything. The language was weird. People changed. Like everybody's depressed now. Like in their houses, they don't yeah. talk to each other. They don't yeah, talk yeah, to yeah. you even. <laughs> you know, it was, I, I got a shock, you know, at first. Yeah. But then I was like, okay, cool. Let me try to get find my dad's friend. I'm going to start a travel yeah. agency and stuff. So I call him up. This guy, he knows I'm coming. He runs away to Turkey. He has a some appointment in Turkey or like something. Happened. He goes to Turkey without telling us. So I'm stuck there in Boston for six months. I don't know what to do. The language is hard. Everything is difficult. I didn't know where to go. There's no Arabs or Muslims that I can talk to, relate to. I don't speak the language. Okay. I just waited, waited, waited. And then uh, I kept seeing the girl from time to time. And then the breakup happened and my brother couldn't come. So it was like things didn't work out as, as as good as we wanted them to work out, you know. So then uh, I left. Uh, so then I, I mean I, I left for that reason. But but before the breakup or after the breakup, this how, is the crazy how, part. How long were you with the girl, by the way? We were together for a year. Okay. Yeah, about a year exactly. Okay. But this is the crazy part. After I broke up with her, mm-hmm. it was like the forces of evil were all just chasing me, you know. Like yeah. I I went to uh, I went to uh, to renew my residence permit. So I went to a police station, mm-hmm. a chief of police, a big one in one of the uh, cities and he i went to him and i was like i need to remember he's like okay go go 
out of the country, come back in a day, and they're going to give you a new, a new uh, visa, stamp. Yeah, Use yeah. that stamp and stay here for three months until you do your papers officially. So I was like, all right. I left in Montenegro for a night, came back to Bosnia. I went. The problem is a mistake I made is I went to another police station. Mm. I walk in the police station. And as soon as, wallahi, uh, Salam, as soon as I look at the police officer's eyes, the guy, he's the chief of police there. As soon as I look at his eyes, I, I knew he was a, uh, I knew he was an evil person, bro. Like, <laughs> I was like, this guy is going to screw me over. And I can't just walk out. It's a police station, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. So, but I was like, all right, I'm going to stay calm and I'm going to talk to him normally. So I came and out of respect, I shook his hand, which was a mistake. And he acted like, you know, why are you shaking my hand? You know, arrogance. So okay. I was like, all right, cool. So I sat down, looked at him. I have a friend of mine, a Libyan guy. He's also, he's a, he's a businessman. He's trying to do his stuff. So he's like, I need your passports. I'm like, cool. I pass, pass my passport. My friend gives him my passport. And then he takes the passport. He, first thing he does, right? He opens my passport. You know how they're envious and stuff. Yeah. They're kind of cold. He opens a passport. He's like, oh, American passport. Uh-huh. I was like, yeah, American passport. What's the big deal? You know, I was trying to like yeah. play it, play it out. Uh, play it down. Yeah, play it down. So then he's like, he's like, so how long have you been here? I was like, three months. I left and I'm, um, I got a new visa and I'm coming back in. You know, mm-hmm. and then he's like, uh, he's like, he's like, no, no. When you left, you must leave for for three months and come back. You know, you must leave for three months. I was like, I left. I got I got permission from uh, you know your your other chief of police. His name's Alan. He's in this station. He's like, yeah. He's like, uh, he's like, you have permission, but I'm gonna put you in jail if I want to. And I'm going to send you back to the U.S. I was like, go ahead, send me back if you want to send me back, you know. So, you know, he's like, he's like, come back to me later on. So I walk out of the office and then I go and, he, and, and, and I call the U.S. Embassy. And the U.S. Embassy is like, what's your problem? And I was like, this guy took my, 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 my property, my passport. He doesn't want to give it back to me. They're like, okay, uh, he's, he has to give it back to you in 24 hours. It's illegal for him to hold it. If he doesn't, we'll file an official report against him and get him in trouble. So I was like, okay, cool. You know, the MC knows now. Uh, but for me, it's personal now. Okay. You know? So I call the, the guy, the chief of police in the, the, the original one, my okay. friend. And I tell him, and he's like, how can you do that? It's illegal. He's not allowed to hold a passport. So I'm like, okay, cool. Now now I have two sources, you know, like okay, backing yeah. me up. So I go back in the station the next day. That's our point. It was a Friday, bro. Okay. I go back in the station. I walk in there and, and I'm like, I'm acting all like cooperative and stuff. I'm yeah. sitting down. I'm like, yo, so uh, his name was Mustafa. So I'm like, Mustafa, how are you doing? He's like, good. I was like, so what's going on now? So he, I have a Turkish friend of mine. Before we walked in, I told the fr- Turkish friend of mine, bro, come inside with me. If this guy starts acting up or like talking, you know, out of his, you know, behind, uh, I'm going to seriously like come out with my passport. So I'm going to, I'm going to mark, I'm going to like, uh, I'm going to gesture to you with my, my, my hand on my nose. That means leave the station, leave the office, because I'm gonna really get in trouble. I'm gonna really fight this guy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do anything. I have. I, I told him I swear I'm coming out dead if I need to. But mm-hmm. I'm com- I'm coming out with my passport. That's the bottom line. I know he has it in there. Okay. So I walk in, bro. He starts talking, you know, smack again. He's like, I could do this to you. He's threatening me and stuff. I'm I'm just taking it all. I'm staying calm. And then I wait. I, I wait. So you know, I gesture to my friend on my nose and my Turkish friend. So he grabs his phone. Actually, he's talking at this point. He leaves. Okay. So when he leaves, bro. I get up, I go to his desk. So I, I made a quick glance. I see my, my passport. He's an idiot. He put my passport between the, the monitor and the, and the printer. Okay. So I look at the passport. It's sitting there. And, and I'm like, all right, I know where it is now. So I wait for him. And I'm like, okay, so when do, what are we going to do? He's like, I'm going to bring a translator to come depor- uh, translate for you so we can deport you. Okay. I was like, okay, cool. You know, I'll come back. He's like, come back after an hour. I leave and I come back. I leave. I, I just walk outside the office. It's like a glass door. I look yeah. inside. I see that he left. He went to the bathroom. Okay. It's right before Friday prayer, right? He's supposed to make a okay. or whatever. So, bro, I look inside the office, and I see that it's empty. So, I, I go walk to the office, and then I, another guy pops out of nowhere. He looks exactly like him. He pops out of nowhere. He looks at me. He's like, what are you doing here? And I was like, I'm looking for Mustafa. He's like, Mustafa's in the bathroom. I was like, 
are you him? He's like, no, I'm his twin brother. Oh. And he's also a police officer. So I was like, okay, okay. I smiled at him. I was like, I was acting all nice. I was like, all right, cool. I'll come back later. So I walk out again. I look through the glass door. I see that he walks out. Okay. I go to the, the I go to the his table. Yeah. I take the passport and I run out. Nice, bro. Nice, I nice. swear to God, bro. I was jumping the the stairs, the levels, like you know, yeah, level, yeah, yeah. one level, one level, one level, third floor. I told I arrived. The last floor was kind of high, so I jumped it from from the up to the outside. When I jumped, bro, I fell. I almost broke my arm. I broke my phone, okay. and I injured myself a little bit. It wasn't that bad, but I got up quick and I ran. I ran about a couple miles okay. through the city center. Everybody was looking at me, man. I went on top of the mountains, all the way areas. I went to my friend's apartment, okay. and I talked to my friend. I was like, dude, take me, take me out of here, bro. <laughs> so he he comes, bro, from another city, drives to me. Picks me up, you know, like I'm wearing a hat. Mm-hmm. We're we're driving out of the city, and then there's like a checkpoint because Damn. he told me he called me. He's like, we're looking for you. We're gonna get you. He's like, it's like a mafia. You know, I was yeah. like, do what you have to do. He's like, I got you in the system. I'm gonna I'm gonna you're not gonna leave Bosnia. I was like, oh, we'll see. I was like, do what you gotta do. I'll do what I gotta do. We'll see okay. what happens. So, bro, I'm walking. There's a checkpoint, bro, and the police officer is checking out cars. So my friend tur- that taps me. He's like, I'm to turn around, act like you're grabbing something from the back. So I put my head down. I act like grabbing something back. I took I took my um, the, the back from the, the back. And then he drove me out. I was a fugitive for about three months. They were looking for me. Okay. They put my name in the system. Uh, a couple a couple months down the line, uh, I'm still doing. I'm trying to get a lawyer. I moved to the south, which okay. is Mostar. It's like a city in the beautiful city in the south. Okay. And the laws are a little bit different. Different federation. You know? Okay. So I was like, all right, maybe they won't get me here. So I, I started, you know, just staying low, wearing a hat, walking okay. out, you know, like a fugitive. And then, um, and then they're looking for me. They have my name. I tried to get a lawyer. I did. I started doing my business paper, so it actually looks like I'm doing something there, yeah. which I was. You know, that's yeah, my, yeah. my plan, original plan. I set up the company. I, I got I got a connection in the government. He was helping me out with the case and everything. And then out of nowhere, bro, they set me up. They're following me. I saw, I went back to Sarajevo. They started following me everywhere, and I knew they're on my ass. So I was like, all right, plan B. I go back to Mostar. A couple days later, I'm walking in the city center. I see the vice, the Bosnian, Bosnian president. I go up to him like this. How you doing? I take a, a, a selfie with him. I still have the picture. Yeah. I took a selfie with him and I put it after I left the put it on Instagram. You okay. Know? I was like, yeah, you guys got to do a better job than that, man. You know? So I left Bosnia and then I went to Montenegro. From Montenegro, I went to uh, to Tur- uh, uh, Turkey. Turkey, Turkey, Libya. by a car? Uh, I left by by bus. They stopped me. Okay. So they stopped me by, on, on at the border and then they arrested me. Uh, for a couple hours in the, in the police station. I fell asleep. Yeah. I didn't care. I fell asleep in the police station. And then what happened was they took me to the main stations on the border as well. It's called Forcha, the city. Uh, I slept there. They let me sleep in the office. Uh, they held my phone. Uh, they held my... No, they didn't hold my phone. They let me sleep. I, I slept on the floor. I woke up in the morning, called the uh, the U.S. Embassy. Okay. Now, it was Workers' Day in the U.S. Monday. It was Workers' Day, so the U.S. Embassy transferred me to the U.S. Security Department, which is U.S. Marines. And they have a huge embassy, U.S. consulate in, in, in Bosnia. Yeah, that's so a the, CIA operation, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have <laughs> underground and, and all that. Yeah, but yeah, they were pretty chill, bro. So what happened okay. was the Marines answered me and they were like, "Yo, what, what's going on? What's?" Uh, they knew right away who I was. Yeah, I'm just from my number. I don't know. How, anyway. Yeah, they have that technology. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so they knew. Uh, he was like, "Yeah, you're Hamza Tanali. You're born eighty nine. What's your issue?" I was like, I, "I, I knew his voice too. He interviewed me when I got a new passport. You know? Okay. So I knew the guy. So he's like, "Yeah, listen, uh." What's your problem? I was like, yeah, they're holding me without any, any I didn't do anything wrong. Okay. And, you know, they don't want to let me go. And then if you could please uh, do something about it, you know, I feel like I'm threatened here. And then, and honestly, it was nice of them to, to actually help. They were like, all right, we're going to come. He's like, where are you at? Stay at the station. I'm coming to get you right now. Okay. Keep your passport on you. I was like, all right, I'm waiting for you. So as soon as I finished, he's, I was like, in Focha. I told him I'm in Focha. That's the station. He's like, okay, I'm coming. I was like, okay, see you here. When I said that, the police over, you know, overheard it. Yeah. So. So he came, he's like, who's that? I was like, it's U.S. Embassy, they're coming. And then he's like, uh, he's like, okay, okay, no problem. He 
he just bro the entire station disappeared the only guy was a secretary standing there they left me alone yeah. i walked in the front door looked right and left and there, there was no police yeah so i was like waiting i was like let's see what they do they come in uh like a, an elderly senior level of mm -hmm. police officer comes in dressed in a suit not suit like a jacket you know yeah, yeah, dressed, yeah. Like, uh, yeah he comes up to me and he's like uh he shakes my hand he's like come with me i'm taking you to the border drops me off the border gives me back my papers and i leave to montenegro I mean, that's a very wild story and the wild shit he did, man. That's like some, some intense shit. It's crazy, bro. And <clears throat> for a police officer to take things on a personal level and then make it statewide and then he become a wanted person for... Uh, I mean, they can cook up... Listen, anybody with power, they can cook up any charges yeah. and they can uh, prosecute you no matter if you're innocent or not. They can just make it look that you're actually not innocent and uh, look for you after that. And uh, Right. And I don't... Like, the way you said the story, there was nothing really that permits him to really do that just maybe he was having a bad day he didn't like the way you looked he wanted to make your life hard and uh and yeah and usually when uh, when you deal with rats like that and you call a, a bigger rat the smaller rats just scatter and they just like flee the scene because yeah, yeah, yeah. they don't have the power it's a power game yeah. so you left bosnia and you went to uh, turkey you said yeah, so I left Bosnia. I went to Montenegro. I got stopped. I tried to come back to the U.S. Okay. You know, like, I got a ticket and everything. I slept in a hotel for three days. Got Went to take my flight. Uh, I remember Serbian Airlines through Serbia. Okay. So what happened was I was supposed to stay a night in Serbia. So I'll, I went to board the plane. They're like, we can't let you on the plane, the the Montenegrins. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, what's the reason? They're like, we're on the phone. Well, we can't let you on the plane. Go ask the airline. Uh, go ask to your, uh, your booking company or whatever. And they're lying to me, obviously. Mm -hmm. I knew something was wrong. And then, uh, so I went and sat down at the airport, Montenegro, it's a small airport. Mm. And then uh, out of nowhere, these, these two guys come up to me. They're acting like they're all tough and shit. You know, yeah, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, yeah. Well, he's like, comes with me, like, counter-terror, counter-terror, you know, we're counter-terror. Okay. Oh, we, we want to talk to you. I was like, what do you want to talk about? What do you want? He's like, uh, he's like, well, give me your passport and ID. We're counter-terror. I was like, I don't care who you are. I, I, I'm not giving you anything. Because, you know, I had a bad experience with my yeah, passport. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is not again, bro. I'm not doing that, man. Yeah. So then, bro, he, he, he's like, all right. He's like, I was like, he's like, so we were like exchanging stuff. We're in front of like everybody. Right? Everybody's yeah. like, we're like exchanging words. And then I was like, no, I'll stay calm. I'm like, no, I'm not giving you my passport. You want, I can call my embassy first if you want. But I, but I won't get to talk to you until I call my embassy. Okay. He's like, no, give me the passport, then call your embassy. Bro, I saw evil in these people's eyes, bro. What life, evil, bro. <laughs> so, so then, bro, he's like, anyway, he knew that I was not scared and intimidated. So then he, they walked me in Okay. to the station. He's like, can you just come with me for a few minutes here? I was like, yeah, sure. I walk in there. They, they all surround me, bro. Okay. All five of them. Five or six, at least at least five. They surround me. Huge guys, bro. Like military yeah, style, yeah. special force. They surround me and they're like, so give us the passport. Like, talking to you like mafia, you yeah, know. I was yeah, like, "Why yeah. you want the passport for?" I, oh, I'm talking to them like leg over leg, you know. I'm sitting yeah, like yeah. this. I'm talking to them. I'm like, "No, they're like, like, uh, uh, they're like, why?" I was like, "Because it's illegal according to international law." I, I just BS them, bro. I was like, "It's illegal." Yeah. They're like, "What do you do?" I was like, "I, I work, you know, in IT and stuff." They were like, "All right, so if you don't give us a passport, we will take you to jail. We'll beat you up. And we'll do this to you and this to you." So then uh, one of them started grabbing my jacket, bro. Like I'm holding my oh, jacket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He started grabbing. I was like, "Get your hands off me! Don't touch me!" And the other one. He took like my, my bag and he started throwing my laptop from the bag, you know, okay. and like he's like he threw it on the ground. And then I was like, hey, that's my laptop. Don't touch it. Anyway, I was talking to them like that. I was scared, you know, and then uh, they were like, we're going to beat you. They start threatening me. I was like, do what you want to do, but you're not getting my passport. So eventually they, they were able to pull it out of my jacket okay. right, by force. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. And they pushed me around a little. I was like okay. a small scuffle. I had a small scuffle with them. Uh, but then but then they then then the, the senior guy pulled out his phone 
and I see a Viber message with my picture on there. So the, the boss scene sent over my picture. It's like a mafia, and, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so Bosnia and Montenegro, is it like this? Are they have, do they have borders? Same country? Yeah, they're, they're borders. They're, they're part of Yugoslavia, like, yeah, right? Uh, okay. Yeah, uh, previously, yeah. Yeah, previously. Formally, yeah, yeah. So okay, yeah. that's a man. That's some intense shit. Okay, yeah, that man. happened. That went down. How do you get out of that? So they they, they pushed me around and so they got physical, right? Yeah. And then one of them just punched me in the back of the head because I resisted. Okay. So he punched me, bro. I wasn't even looking. You know my reaction. I I, I try to throw because you know practice yeah. boxing. So I try to I try to throw back at him. They all came and rushed me and they held me. You know. So yeah. so I couldn't really uh, react in ten, uh, right away. And he it was, it was so cowardly, bro. From the back and yeah, like it was from the back, dude. Like in the head. Come on, you know. Yeah. It was a really hard punch too. So after he did that, I kind of lost my balance a little. I tried to punch him back, but I, I couldn't. Uh, and then after that, the, they, they let me go right away because they were scared. I was like, you guys are going to get in trouble for this. You know, I was talking like this. You guys yeah. are going to be big trouble. You will see. I told them, you will see. So they hit right away. They gave me back my stuff. They wrapped up everything. They're like, here, you can go. Okay. Yeah, they realized I did something big. Yeah. So I walked out, man. I walked out. They, uh, went, I, went, I had to walk. This is crazy. By the way, this is really crazy. Bro, I had to walk. About two or three miles, two okay. or three miles, more than that, man. At least three miles, with at least eighty to ninety pounds of baggage. Damn, bro. At five bags, by the way, carrying five bags, walking three miles to to a, to a hotel near the airport. It's like you know the hotels that come yeah, yeah, around yeah. the airport. I had to walk to that. So in you the missed, darkness, you missed your plane, right? Uh, yeah, I missed it. I lost okay. one hundred dollars in that one. They don't fund it or anything. No, nothing, bro. So I was walking in the darkness of of the Montenegro farms, you know, the suburbs yeah. of the airport. And like, I get attacked by a pit bull. They... That, that's the crazy part. Right when I'm about to get to the airport, to the yeah. hotel, I get attacked by a pit bull. The pit bull is running at me, man. It's a black one. It's running through a farmer's. I didn't see it at first because it's black. Yeah. He's coming, he's coming. He's shaking his tail. And then he's, as he gets closer, I look, it is a dog. He's, you know, he's barking. Yeah, you can hear yeah. him. And then, I, you know, I'm like, oh, oh, damn, this is real, bro. So I throw my bags quickly. I'm in the middle of the way, the highway, bro. <laughs> I'm walking the highway, by the way, because I can't okay. walk anywhere else. Yeah. They're all farms. I'm walking. I, I stop. I look at the, the pit bull and I start making a huge, I big myself bigger and I start stomping on the ground and I start making a big noise, you know, yeah, I start barking yeah. back at him like, yeah. oh, you know. So eventually he came so close and he stopped, started looking at me and barking, you know, okay. and then he walked back. Okay. So so I, I walked my bags up a huge hill, bro, like like this steep, Dang. all the way back to the hotel. I check in, I call I call my family and I'm like, you know, something's happened, but everything's all right. My dad's like, all right, call or report to the U.S. Embassy right now. I called the U.S. Embassy to take the report. They're like, we'll call you tomorrow. They call me in the morning. They're like, tell us what happened exactly. You know, we want to know what yeah. happened. I had to explain to them everything that happened. They're like, we take this stuff seriously and we will we'll, we'll take... I don't know what they did, but I'm sure they did something. You know what I mean? Because okay. a U.S. citizen gets beaten that, yeah. you know, up. Yeah, and yeah. Anyway, so I, 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 get, I get out, bro. I get out uh, in a couple days. Uh, oh, so I ended up staying in Montenegro for like a while after that. Mm. Uh, I had to go like the seaside. I had to get my mind off this stuff. And then I went to uh, Croatia. Okay. After, I took a bus to Croatia. After Croatia, I went to Turkey. For two weeks and okay. then turkey i went to libya i was supposed to work as a business development manager for a company okay uh, in Masrata, and then it didn't work out the guy left for uh, dubai owner. okay after that i was like all right libya got really depressing bro because okay. you know the mentality <laughs> there it just takes two weeks for you to like to just to, to lose yourself there. okay when so, was the last time you were in libya before that time uh so the last time before that that was 2000 uh that was 2018 so the last time was 2000 um 2015. okay yeah 2015. Uh, and then the time before that was 2014. The time before that was 2013. So okay. I went about four or five times. And then anyway, so I went to Libya. I didn't like the fact that I stayed there for about a month, a uh, couple months, a couple months, two, okay. two three months. And then at the, bro, like after three months, I just called. I was like, 
dude, I'm getting out of here. I was, I was, I'm going back to the U.S. This is not a, even though I like the reason why I lived in those countries because of the lifestyle and the culture. I like that stuff in a way. But then like the country is really bad state right now, you know? Yeah, it's, like uh, econ- econ- economically yeah. and uh, socially and, and, and everything. Who, who, who are you hanging out with? Was there your cousins? Those are people you know from college? What was going on? Yeah, that time? so when I was in Tripoli, uh, I stayed there for about a week and then I went to, for the job right away. Okay. When I was in Tripoli, I was hanging out with relatives and stuff, you know, cousins and all yeah. that family. Uh, my brother as well, he's there. So, and then after that, when I went to Masrat, I hang out with some old friends that I had. Okay. Um, and I stayed over their place. They had like a farmhouse okay. and everything. And yeah, I had yeah. my own place, my own room. And they let me, st- sorry, they let me stay there for, a, you know, a couple weeks. And then I, I felt like I was being a heavy guest, you know. Okay. I stayed there for about two weeks, uh, two, 10 days a week to two weeks. Okay. I was like, I'm being a heavy guest, you know, I don't want to annoy these guys. And I just told them, guys, I'm going. They were like, if you ever come back, come back. They're very, very nice guys. Yeah. Uh, and then I went back to Tripoli, and then from Tripoli I called my parents. I stayed the entire summer there without AC, without nothing, and you wake up burning, no, oh, yeah. no, no air conditioning, and no light, no electricity. It's horrible. So then I, I was like, all right, I was like, I'm leaving. So well, I took a plane. What were you doing in Libya that time? I mean Tripoli. Oh, just don't wasting time. That's all you can do, bro, because it's so <laughs> negative the environment, and people are so negative. Like, who are you hanging out? Uh, my cousin uh, Hamam, he's a pharmacy in Tripoli. Okay. Uh, he and, and so I hang out with him and his friends sometimes. I have my cousin that we used to live with, you know, my okay. uncle, the one that got killed. Uh, his son, uh, he we used to, we're staying at his place. So we so hang out. So who were the negative people? Was it the people you're hanging out with? Honestly, bro, everyone except uh, like a few cousins, like the one Hammam and a few other people, everyone except them. Like everyone else, I didn't like. Even my other cousins, bro, they're so toxic and hateful and je- and envious. And, and even my aunts, bro, like honestly, most of them <laughs> are good. But, but, but like I have a couple aunts that I really like. Like two of them I really, really like. The other one I don't like much. I feel yeah. like... She's a little bit envious of, of us, and like she, yeah. she kind of favors her kids over everyone else. Anyway, I, I just you know, but I'm okay with her. I don't hate her or anything. Um, but you know, but that's the fact. You know, a few good people we had there, and that that's what kept us together. You know, I had a really good friend as well from from Libya from 2011 uh, that I knew because I you know. Anyway, so that guy we we'd hang out from time to time. So, but bro, when you're depressed, like you said earlier. Your whole view on the world changes. You lose hope and everything, and you start seeing things in a, in an unrealistic negative uh, view. Way. Yeah, you start actually seeing, even though that's not what the reality is. You cannot see anything being done or something possible or something that you know um, doable. It's just you feel dead. You you're get, hollow. Yeah, you're very hopeless, you're hopeless, hopeless place. Yeah, that's hopeless, very true. Bro. Yeah, and that's uh, for anyone out there who's going through that period. It's you gotta remind yourself. You know, we can't just say just get over it and life will be better because I've been there and that's that's not how it works. It really needs gradual small steps towards getting better. And it's not it's not uh, it's not actually something. Uh, it's not something bad to ask for help. It's not does not make you look bad. It's actually something very courageous to to ask people for help when you're feeling down. My advice, I'm not a doctor, don't take medication. Right. They usually make things worse or they just don't make them better. They just keep them the same. Right. A right. little bit. Uh you can take them for a month or two until you get better, but don't 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 make your medication your savior or something something that's gonna help you change your uh mentality. But things to do is just do some small stuff incrementally every day that will help your mood, exercise, eat well, wake up early, uh right. Try to hang out with positive people, get help, go talk to somebody, to a therapist if you have a close friend, mm-hmm. go tell them what you're feeling like and mm-hmm. slowly get out of that phase. And, you know, it's interesting, you meant you went through so much shit, like 
going, you know, uh, getting kicked out of countries, you know, getting followed by police, and then he I went to jail friend. Malta for overstaying too. And then yeah, yeah. That, and then like, getting I had my friends die in Libya, bro. Like really close friends. That was bad too. I mean, a lot of things I didn't even mention. I was homeless for some time. I didn't want to ask anyone, but I had a really good friend of mine that offered his apartment for me. He was out of it. But I had to live with drug dealers, and the cops were there every couple of days, and they were doing crackdowns on us. And it was insane, bro. Like I went through hell. They would fight every day. They had knives, and they would fight and like they like curse each other. You, would, I wake up in the morning to like screaming and banging doors, and like every single morning, bro, almost. <laughs> it, it was insane. And then you're always paranoid because you don't know when the cops are gonna are gonna. Were you in Malta at the time? It was in Malta, bro. Yeah. And this is after the breakup, so I was already going through the the trauma yeah. of the breakup. And then you're going through like living in a drug dealer's house. You know, and I, I could have asked in one phone call. I could have asked my brother or my family or my parents for money. I didn't want to because I felt like I felt like they're gonna think, all right, this kid, our child or our brother, our, our sibling is is in another country and he's not taking care of himself. And this is gonna make them worry more. And it's gonna make me look like I'm not responsible. So I was like, let me get a job first, and then and then you know see what happens. You yeah, know? yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. What 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 kind of what are the lessons you learned from those uh, experiences? You know, man, bro. Man, um, first thing is like I want to be positive about 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 it. So the first thing is um, there there's a lot of good in this world. Okay. No matter how bad your situation may be, uh, you can always change it, and things will always get better. Mm-hmm. Things can always get better. Uh, more trauma means more strength. Mm-hmm. The more you, you go through traumatic experiences, the more uh, you're you're able to face them in the future and face challenges. And it does grow, help you grow as a person. So people ask me now, would you prefer the positive or negative experience? I would say the, the negative ones because that's what taught me and made me strong. I was yeah. weak when I went there. I was a yeah. child, you know. Uh, but now I'm strong and I'm able to face the world, you know. Uh, what else? What else did I learn? Um, uh, the fact that I have, you have to really, after, at the end of the day, the only person that can bring you up, in my opinion, is, is God and then yourself. Yes. You, you can't depend on anyone, you know, uh, and stuff like that. What else? Uh, people, uh, I, I, lear- I learned that people can be very treacherous no matter how close they are to you. And w- because uh, because th- in the end of the day, a lot of people can be selfish and they'll put themselves before you when things get rough and tough. And I learned that no matter what, when people see you as a, like as a, as a lion that's been, been injured and, and you're hurt and you're down, people will step on you. There's no mercy in this world. It is a jungle. Yes, that's you know, true. it's a jungle, man. People will step with you. You always have to be strong and portray that strength, even if you're in a weak position. That's that's what I learned. What else? Uh, traveling is an amazing experience. Uh, you know, always be positive no matter what. You choose you choose your own uh, destiny, either mm-hmm. happiness or, or depression or sadness, because you have control over your destiny. Yes, that's what I believe. That's the message, man. That's that like you brought a full circle. And that's the message I like to uh, to send to other people. Like you choose your destiny. Even in the times, and I totally relate, I'm not trying to put anybody off, but when you're in depression, when you're in like anxiety and hopelessness, you feel like this kind of talk is just a positive talk that does not really do anything. Like you choose your destiny, you're like, no, why, how did that happen to me? Why did that happen to me? You have to feel those feelings, understand why the situation happened to you. What if you could done better without going hard on yourself, negative, understand that, oh, maybe next time when it happens, I should do this and just yeah. take it in a positive sense and the most important thing for me is surround yourself with positive people who want your best interest in mind they will support you when you say i have a project they will try to help you out they will support you they will be happy when you get successful you don't want those people who uh, who are your friends but deep down they don't wish you to succeed because yeah. they they themselves have accepted they that they will never do anything good in their life so they want the other people around them to be at the same level. And right. when they say you rise up, they want to bring you down with them. Right. right. Don't surround yourself with those around uh, 
people and the world at this current moment is a jungle people and you know if you want to go conspiratorial like there's a world system that has all the world's wealth that prints money and puts it out into debt enslaves people it even enslaves countries through the imf and the mm -hmm. world bank and mm -hmm. puts countries into very bad conditions and it's it's a really like a virus like a cancer that just wants to gobble everything up and if you focus on that too much you will get like depressed because you won't see a lot of hope right and it's people like us who go through these tribulations who come out the other side stronger with a positive mindset that's going to help out the world because this change does not come from pol politics or revolutions you know if history has taught us anything mm -hmm. revolutions have been happening since the dawn of time but does that change the condition of humanity it's just you're replacing you know uh, it's like the old myth when you cut the, you know the monster with seven heads or the, you know, if you cut the, mo the heads monster seven other heads come up the usually the people who do the revolution they do it in a good intent but then they get corrupted because yes. they get into the same position where there's money and power and they can see that they don't want it to go away they're like oh my god this is so much money this is so much power i want this to stay forever what can i do and they start compromising their own values their own mm -hmm. soul mm -hmm. and they sell out it's people like you who's going through this hard time who's not who did not choose the easy way out who did not choose to kill himself right you know who did not choose to just live a mediocre life and who who's fighting for your own happiness and your own uh, mm -hmm. and and at the end don't don't lose compassion and hope in humanity oh. you know as you go through these through these tribulations and you learn to listen to the voice inside of you and listen to the the real voice inside of you you will become stronger and confident and people will start not envying you but they will start noticing that there's something different with you and they will start trying to get close to you and they they will start to emulate you and of course since you've been through an bad experience you will know the people who have malicious and intense yes. like a mile away you you, you yes. will not go, fall into the same mistake of letting yes. them stay close living with them you know opening their your heart to them you will know from the beginning that they're trying that they have negative and malicious and intense and you should have compassion for those people mm -hmm. it's, it's a hard thing that's yeah. a very gross thing like when you see those people instead of hating and trying to get back at them just say like oh these poor people they just they're in a bad mental state they're very sick people and you just separate yourself from mm -hmm. them you know a lot of times it's subconscious they don't know that they're really doing bad things to you it's just the way it's like a software like when you click uh when you open your computer, it just boots out and it opens the screen and it tells you to enter. But the computer doesn't know what it's doing. It's just a process that's happening automatically. And these right. people sometimes act from an automatic sense. Right. So it's and not personal. They don't mean it personally. Yes. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they, sometimes don't. they don't. But you don't, you, don't, you don't have to keep your neg uh, like attention and focus to that thing. And always value yourself. Have love to yourself. Start your day with a positive prayer, with a positive meditation, with right. uh, appreciation. And... Things will get better. Things start getting better for me when I stopped taking my meds. Right. When I stopped hanging out with people, negative people, with uh, when I started looking, when I started also getting. If you're an ice in, uh, you're isolated. That's also a bad place. You can never get better when you're isolated. Absolutely. You have to be around people. Absolutely. You have to be around people. You have to see how people are doing every day. You have Absolutely. to get get, get get yourself busy, even if it's just. Uh, volunteering doing something you got to get self busy you cannot stay all day at home in bed or watching tv and then expecting things to change absolutely you have to do some small steps and then god will take care of the rest you know god wants to see the the initiative the action from you right and then you can take it on to the next level and the way the way we're going to change the world 
and it is the time of change you know if you're into astrology if you're into you yeah. know religion uh, the, the end of times not the end of times where the world's gonna end it's the end of the age the right. age of darkness the age of manipulation deception and I think abuse so. i think so and the thing is there's more light now that we can see the darkness of the world but that should not deceive us to believe that the world's a dark place we're just uncovering all the darkness that was hidden for thousands of years this yeah. stuff has been going on for thousands of years Absolutely. it's just that now now it's a very uh, like the the clay is so malleable that we are able to shape the future because now we have a lot of cool gadgets technology you know, believe me, if humans had the same technology back two, three thousand years, they would have done the same thing. They would have bombed people. They would have like done massacres. They would have done yeah, it if they had so. guns, but they didn't have guns. They had swords, so it was hard to kill a larger population. They could not drop a bomb on a city and like mm-hmm. just bomb it. They, but today we have that capability. But at the same time, we have the internet. We have this medium. I'm talking to you. Me and Hamza are talking to you. A lot of other people are talking around the internet. They're trying to spread this message of just stay positive, man. Oh, absolutely. And. Uh, I just oh, have one more thing, sorry. To yeah, and just work yeah. on your dream. Like, I'll just say, you know, I'm ranting here, but I'm just trying to send that message of don't give up if you're going through hard times, you know, and tune in. Uh, the first few episodes, I'm just talking to people who've gone through experiences. You listen to Hamza's experience. You listen to how he's been alienated, gone through some changes. But today, he's a completely different person. He would never, for a chance, give the thought of choosing a negative emotion or a negative, like, a depression. Right. A cho- he would not even ponder it. He would see it come a mile away, and he would do something different, and he would get out of it. And he's... He's trying to help other people. And he still gets challenged. Life is not all roses and ponies now. But now, the knowing that you have your destiny in your hand, you can choose, that's the most empowering thing you can have. And with that, you can just build your future and build, you have hope and compassion for humanity. We're going to do this. We're going to be, in history, look at, look at it this way. We're going to be the generation that really changes stuff. Like, we're going to be looked at as we were in a very... Yeah, like chaotic world but we held our ground and we did not give up and we spread the message and you know god bless all of you hearing and Absolutely. like we'll uh if you don't mind can I yeah, yeah yeah of course i'm, I'm gonna oh, leave you the you. last yeah, the yeah. last word you know i'm not yeah. gonna shut the okay. and and in the future episode we're gonna take you know some some events some wars some uh spiritual traditions and see how humans throughout history have gone through the same struggle maybe now it's more intense with the media you see everything but Humans have seen that the world is fake. They've seen that the news is fake. They've seen that people in power abuse them. They see that there's something wrong. And they develop traditions of ways of to gain peace of mind. We want to deliver that peace of mind so you can start, you know, uh, giving a positive message to the people around you, you know. And one last thing I'll end before I give the mic to Hamza is I heard one time some, some communities call people like us light workers. Which is, we have a light inside of us that we did not give up on, or we had to go through some challenges to really realize it. But we are really uh, not alone, but we're usually not in circles together. You do not find people like us always in a group of friends or in a group of community. We're usually isolated in our families and our works. And It's because if people of light all collect together, how is the world going to get our light how it's how is how is the positivity kind of share if we're just going to close into each other so that's why we're kind of find yourself in isolated environments where people don't think like you because you are put through that challenge to come on the other side and spread the good message to the people around you and uh, i'll leave the last word for uh, hamza okay so yeah just just you know capping up on on the last thing that you said about uh what, what did you learn from it and what would you what advice would you give i just wanted to add a few things man uh, if you have family um and and you know Keep your relationship with them really good because honestly, at the end of the day, that's who you're going to find. 
that's who's going to be there for you, even though it's not necessarily uh, only family. I mean, I've seen it and experienced it, and a lot of people have that I know. Family is more valuable than, than we think. That's one thing. Another thing is, uh, no matter how the situation in your life seems right now, no matter how bad it is, no matter how hopeless it is, just like um, Salem said, make uh, take it step by step, be positive, and, and know that this is just a bump on the road you know it's just a a loop it's gonna it's gonna pass just like everything else passes it's gonna pass bad experiences are gonna pass have the hope that you are gonna get out of it because you will i always no matter how down i was i the good thing that i did was i always had the hope i was i was completely disabled i had no way of helping my situation financially or you know logistically in any in any sense period spiritually but i kept my hope up that i will get out of it and and now I look at myself now I look back and I'm like, I did get out of it, you know, because of the hope. You have yes. to keep your hope up. Yes. That's it. And just get out of that isolation. Just see people, man. Just go on the street, sit down, talk to people. You'll you'll start feeling refreshed again. Because if you stay alone for a long time, you just get to a very dark place where, you know, they say the wolf gets the lone sheep. That's usually how it is. And uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you had to get a great episode. Leave us some feedback. Tell us how we can improve. What other subjects you'd like to listen to. And uh, thanks for listening, man.